This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. As my sweet mother always said, son, if one hostage is good, two are better. And three, well, that's just good business. <laughs> hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we discuss uh, film series one movie at a time, uh, but we aren't talking about movies tonight. I am your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, James Hamrick. Hey Gabe, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. And did you just seriously just finish this season, like, five minutes ago? That may or may not be true, but it is true, actually, yes. <laughs> and did I not give you, like, three or four months heads up yes. to avoid... This situation. I really use that time to get really excited. Um, mm-hmm. Part of it, it's a it's a combination of, um, I'll go ahead and say it, uh, procrastination, as well as honestly, I just I really did like I couldn't get myself excited to watch it like before Attack of the Clones. Like I just I don't know. Like, finishing Attack of the Clones and that whole last assault on Geonosis, always, that's whenever I really want to jump into uh, Clone Wars. So, that's at least that's the answer I came up with. Alright, you're going to give me a heart attack, dude. <laughs> so, we are currently exploring the Star Wars saga, and we are deep into the Clone Wars. Um, last week, we discussed the Gandhi Tartakovsky's uh, 2D animated Clone Wars series. And this week we are starting on season one of Star Wars The Clone Wars. So this will not re- be our normal structure. We're just going to go through it episode by episode uh, in the chronological order. Very, very uh, important. Not the release order, which is incomprehensible. Yeah, so messed up. We'll also be putting the film in there, which is, I, as best I can figure, it's five episodes. So I'm just going to talk about it within the structure of the main season, like it's a a five-episode arc of the series. All right, before we begin our discussion, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to go and rate and review us on iTunes, five stars only, and then go like us on Facebook uh, for all our new episodes. And before we get into the main discussion, James, why don't you tell us a little bit about the -the behind-the-scenes story of how this came to the screen? So, um, as far as the original concept, there's a, a lot of continuity between this and Tartakovsky's series in 2003. Uh, it was originally uh, announced at the April uh, Star Wars Celebration 3, so that was actually in 2005, so just a month before Revenge of the Sith's release. Um, and at the time, it, it was described by Lucas as a 3D continuation of the pilot series, the pilot series being uh, Tartakovsky's series. And he would later elaborate on what he, he means by that. And it seemed like he was kind of using the, the Tartakovsky series as a way of dipping his toes in the water as far as animation goes. Dave Filoni of Last Airbender fame was hired as supervising director uh, and Henry Gilroy was brought on as a writer. Uh, the initial idea from Filoni was much different from what we actually ended up getting. And it sounds pretty similar to what Rebels actually is. It was originally intended to uh, kind of avoid really getting too involved in the continuity of the films. And characters like Anakin and Obi-Wan were only to make very brief cameos throughout the series. It was going to star a cast of completely new characters aboard a spaceship that was supposed to be similar to the Millennium Falcon. Uh, It would have a smuggler and his girlfriend... Uh, a Gungan would have actually been one of the leads named Lunker, uh, and a, <laughs> yeah, 
Exactly. Uh, a Jedi Padawan named Ashla and her master, uh, although the master was never elaborated on as to who exactly that'd be. So that was probably been something like Ahsoka then. Oh, yeah. So Lucas, who originally was not super, uh, was not going to be heavily involved in the series, ended up coming aboard in a much more um, day-to-day way in which he actually had a lot of input on store decisions and pretty much overhauled what the idea was going to be. And he, he decided he actually did want to focus much more on the main characters. However, he liked a lot of what Filoni had come up with, so he brought some of it over. And the character Ashla actually was um, adapted to become Ahsoka. Hmm. So they used a lot of her character traits, and uh, pretty much the, the only thing changed was, was the name. So it, it sounds like they kind of carried over that basic concept and the, the character dynamics and kind of just transplanted it onto Rebels. Yeah, it does seem very similar with what they ended up doing later, uh, which I guess, you know, talking through the behind the scenes for all of this is just something that Lucas and, and crew are pretty typical of doing. So after Lucas came aboard, um, he had a, a couple of uh, rules that he would end up later breaking. Um, one of the things he, even though he decided that we would star main characters, he, he wanted to avoid, other than Coruscant, he wanted to avoid familiar planets uh never really go to them although we end up going to tatooine and naboo and kashyyyk so um pollution there are a lot of different all, all, basically every every planet most of the planets of. we go to are familiar camino yeah um so yeah um and he came aboard and it started becoming very much more in line with what the tartakovsky was in that it was Focusing on familiar characters as well as kind of the background Jedi Masters and just covering different uh, different battles. So as they developed uh, the series, Lucas looked at some of the uh, some of the work they had done, and he was actually so impressed by it that he decided that the best way to show this off to the audience for the first time was through a theatrical release. Um, and so, what was to be several episodes were actually kind of stitched together and reworked um, to be a theatrical film for. Better or for worse, I think there's some pros and cons to that decision. Um, as far as casting went, for the theatrical film, uh, Christopher Lee and Samuel L. Jackson actually came aboard and took over from the previous voice actors who would be series regulars. Uh, as far as the show regulars go, uh, we have Matt Lanter as Anakin Skywalker. Um, and... For once, he actually sounds, at least at this point, because I do like him in Revenge of the Sith, but now for the first time, he sounds like a human being, so that's a plus. <laughs> um, James Arnold Taylor reprised his role as Obi-Wan from the Tartakovsky series, and he's just as great here. Uh, Ashley Eckstein starred as the initially very controversial uh, Padawan for Anakin, Ahsoka Tano. Uh, Catherine Tabor as Padme. Um, Anthony Daniels did end up coming back to voice C-3PO for the entirety of the series. Uh, Tom Kane provides several voices throughout the series, um, including Yoda, Admiral Wolf Ularen, uh, as well as the narrator. And I think we think that he's the actual, he is Admiral Wolf as well, I believe. Um, Ian Abercrombie as Palpatine, uh, at least for the first several seasons. Uh, Ahmed Best would return to the joy of everyone as Jar Jar Binks. Yay! Uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. I love him here. Um, Corey Burton would voice Count Dooku, and Terrence B. Carson would voice Mace Windu. 
And last, but absolutely not least, uh, D. Bradley Baker would provide the voice for all of the clones that appear in the series, uh, as well as several other characters here and there. Um, so the animation for the show was produced uh, by the newly created Lucasfilm Animation in Singapore. Kevin Kiner was hired to compose the scores for the entire show. Um, I think he overall does a pretty good job. I think he uses, he's a bit too liberal in his use of original themes. Like he'll just kind of throw them in willy nilly sometimes. But overall, I think he does create some really uh, compelling and atmospheric music uh, for the show. It's weird you say that. I, you may have a better ear than I, but I feel like one of my complaints is that I don't hear familiar enough music sometimes. Some, like, there's a lot of original stuff to me going on. But a lot, I like a lot of that too. So it's just when I, most of the times I notice it, it's just like it's not related to what the theme the theme was originally mm. created for. I gotcha. Uh, the exact figure of how much each episode costs uh, aren't available, but uh, from what I found around online, it seemed they uh, cost around one up to two million per episode. The film, the film, which I think is roughly about five five episodes stitched together, had a, an, a, an increase, but still very very small budget of eight point five million. And the film was released on August 15, 2008, and the season one show premiered on Cartoon Network on October 3rd, 2008, and aired until March 20th, 2009. Let's just dive right into the series, um, obviously, going again, going chronological order. And so for this, the, premiere, the, the pilot episode should have been Cat and Mouse, which was directed by Kyle Dunleavy. It was aired as season two, episode 16. That shows you how crazy the release order was. It was it was written by Druzy Greenberg and Brian Larson. Uh, with this one, you have Bill Organa is on uh, Christophus. Uh, uh, you know he's trapped by by droids, and Anakin is taking an advanced prototype blockade runner to get supplies to him. Uh, what do you think about this episode, James? Uh, I actually like it a lot. Um... It's not one of the best ones, but it's also, you know, season one and a little bit of season two kind of have these episodes that you really have to get past. This, to me, this episode, every time I start it, I always do release order. This is always one that's like pretty, it's a pretty good one to just kind of get going into because it gives you a little bit of what the show is just going to be like. I think it's got great moments with Anakin and Obi-Wan. Um, it just, it does, one of my favorite things about the series is just, just, show me some of the battles of the clone wars since i only got to see the very beginning and very end uh, mm -hmm. i thought the character was you know interesting enough uh, i still remember him um uh so yeah i i really enjoy this one yeah i actually liked it a lot um it's we are introduced to uh the legendary and long thought dead admiral trench who is actually voiced by d bradley baker the uh, voice of the clones and it's just this really fun little battle of wits, and it plays a lot off of uh, submarine warfare, like the uh, <laughs> the, the prototype uh, uh, blockade runner, which, which has cloaking device and can become invisible. That they're trying to get past the the separatist blockade on. It looks like a lot like the uh, the Hanley, which was the first. And the scenes where they're going past the blockade, it it feels like they're playing off all the cinematic. Uh, uh, language that you use for submarine films like the the red lights and then the sonar pings and it it just it, they were able to capture that sense of tension you know when you're underneath a uh, a ship that could drop death charges at you any time i think they they really they're able to capture that a lot and I, I like the character of a uh, trench i think you know he's this general who's kind of full of himself and it's kind of all this game of wits for him 
and I think the problem is you know, he probably could have won. The problem is that Anakin is just crazy and does not abide by tactical rules. So you know, in the end, when he actually is able to to outsmart him, um, it's just a, a fun little game of wits. I think you, you, you get to see like the t- tactics, and that's one of my favorite things about the Clone Wars series is the way we like see get to see real time military tactics playing out um, in on this grand scale. Yeah, um, you know, going back to uh, the Tartakovsky series, you know, if if you like this series, then I think you'll probably end up liking a lot of things we had to say about this one because one of the things that I liked here that to me just wasn't there with that one was like the tactics. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot of moments that happen for show, but almost every like big arc, we're talked through strategy and it makes sense. It feels like very real world um strategy and tactics and things and it, it focus we we spend so much time on the bridge instead of just like you know non-stop action out in atmosphere or on the ground uh we always know what the plan is and what the stakes are uh, mm-hmm. and so yeah th- and this one was a good way to show that off i really do wish that if they were you know going to use you know, use episodes to try to serve as a as a theatrical film. I think you could have started off with like this first Christophsis arc and then ended ended the theatrical film kind of at at the very end after Ahsoka's already there and helped finish the mission. And I think that would have been a perfectly fine way. But you know, I, I think this is a much better introduction to what this show is going to be. Because um, yeah, it, it takes us into a real war. Like sometimes in war, it's not about fighting the enemy. It's just about getting supplies and ammunition to the guys on the ground. And obviously Anakin always makes it about fighting the enemy. But, you know, you see that's one of the flaws in his character. And th- this would actually function pretty well as a pilot because it introduces to Anakin and Obi-Wan and their dynamic. Like we see like who they are as people. Obi-Wan is just like, laser focused on getting the job done with the least amount of craziness and complications as possible. And Anakin just wants to win. That's all he wants. And it's interesting how he's constantly disobeying orders and attacking when he shouldn't be, but he gets away with it because he usually wins. He's, he's, he's pretty much, I guess, you know, Captain Kirk from this, from a JJ Star Trek re- reboot uh, is how they, how they uh, crafted him here, which obviously this came out before that. So, Hey, yeah. And um, I mean, this one obviously had the benefit of coming out after, uh, or at least with all of Revenge of the Sith in mind from like the very beginning. So they had a better idea of, well, actually, I, I guess at that point, they probably did have a lot of the principal photography done with Revenge of the Sith. So they really knew the dynamic of Obi-Wan. And so they, they're able to play with that completely at the beginning of this series. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love that we're getting like the version of Obi-Wan and Anakin that I love from Revenge of the Sith here. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite lines, is just, you know, like, might I remind you, this is this, or this isn't your mission. And Anakin just says, you might. <laughs> and then just goes about doing whatever he's doing. Yeah. And something else I really like about this episode in particular, as well as just the series as a whole, is even though the animation, like the facial animation and texture isn't always great. There's other moments where this show looks pretty amazing. And the cinematography a lot of the time is really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, one of the moments that really stands out for me uh, in this episode was as, as they're cloaked and they're like, they're just sitting and waiting for all of the enemy fighters to kind of fly past them. And you almost feel like you're like trying to 
duck under these ships as they pass. Like the sound, the way the sound design is, and the way the ships pass over, you feel like you're in this enclosed space. As it, it, it's very, very cinematic and not really shot, just like a kids' cartoon. There, yeah. Some of the texture and movement is wonky, but the sense of scale is always really present, and uh, they're always able to, you know, give us really nice compositions to look at, uh, and the you know great use of depth. I think. Uh, so the second episode, the hidden enemy, is a is a continuation of the Christophsis arc, uh, directed by Stuart Lee. This was aired as season one, episode sixteen, uh, and and written by Drew Z. Greenberg. This one I like a lot. Uh, you have the the uh, the Republic; they're out about to ambush uh, the the separatists, but then they're ambushed. And I think you know, this if you didn't get the picture in the first in in uh, Cat and Mouse, this really tells you this is war like the every action is very real any any mistake leads to death man <laughs> there's a lot of death you're right in the open a clone like they're ziplining across a building and a clone gets shot and falls all the way down and you just see the consequences like every action and error has these instant consequences and people die this film this you know this series is not afraid to show that and, I, and obviously more importantly this is one that introduces the idea of you know a traitor in their midst that's passing information to the enemy, and later on that's revealed to be a clone. And I think that whole concept I think is really terrifying and well uh, well explored in this episode. Yeah, just about that that very beginning. That is one of my favorite moments in like all of season one. Um, there's you know sometimes the the show relies on the battle droids a little bit too much for humor, uh, but here in this moment like. The way, like, they're using these tilted cameras and really getting, like, the droids right, like, just almost this unrelenting force coming through the halls. There's really cool shots there. Uh, and then everything that happens outside, like, zip lining across, and uh, it feels, well, like you said, it feels like a war. Like, this, this may have been more what you would imagine when you think of the Clone Wars uh, in a Star Wars universe. Um... And then again, just going back, I really do wish that this this could have been part of the theatrical release, just because I think a lot of people never gave the series a, a chance because the film just relied too much on things like introducing Ahsoka and shoving all of her weird quir- like quirks just into one story with you know R two E and Stinky and stuff like that, where you're like okay, it's going to be this thing. Whereas if you started this, you know, I mean, we've got we're already bringing up the concept of like cl- like the autonomy of clones and yeah. things like that and it's just this show does things that i'm sure lucas wanted to do but just like you know this is anakin's story i can't do that and here he's really able to flesh out these ideas um that make sense for the universe yeah and just the the whole idea we we find out that it was actually is a clone that's been betraying them and giving in information to ventress and you have uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin Lee have to leave on a mission. And so you have, uh, I think it's Rex and Cody, who have to find a clone traitor. And I I love just how it plays up the, the sense of paranoia. Like, they're all, they all look exactly the same. They all have the exact same programming and training. You know, they, they can read each other's minds, you know, as they're going through tactics. So everything that makes them such an effective army completely paralyzes them the moment one of them decides i don't want to do this anymore and so you know, you know they try, as they're trying to find this guy trying, you know he's us he knows exactly what we're going to do before we do it and he's able to avoid them and sabotage the vehicles and when they finally capture him 
it really brings up this fascinating idea. Just, yeah, clone, you know, this entire concept of creating clones to be your soldiers, you know, and, you know, the, you, you create them, you train them from birth, and then give them again, send them out. Obviously, they're programmed to want to obey you. But what happens when one doesn't want to obey? I, I love, you know, because this is a series, this idea is able to get explored even further down the um, down the road. And what's funny is I think that sometimes the series almost really, like, realizes that there's a lot of credibility with these ideas. Um and yet you're still supposed to be like rooting for, you know, our heroes and uh, and the Republic Army. And so sometimes you have, you know, moments with um, Plo Koon or Yoda in a later episode where, you know, the clones are the ones saying like, well, we're designed to be fodder. And they're saying, oh, that's not what you are to me. And like trying to reassure them that, no, we are still the good guys. <laughs> but it almost does just feel like, oh, crap, like, let me tell me, let, let me tell this guy what what he what he needs to hear i guess i think it's genuine when the jedi say that but just hearing that in the same series as episodes as this where these clones do bring up these points like that it's just really interesting to see all these different perspectives um on this idea yeah and like you have a clone who says you know who realizes this is you know i was never given a choice and if they you know they're created wanting to do this but if, if the moment they decide i don't want to do this again they're branded a traitor and you know, that's pretty much slavery even though slavery is technically illegal in the republic and you, even i love it you know, this well obviously they, they didn't air it till episode 16 but this early they're already introducing the, the notion that is making us doubt the very concept of clones which is you know we have to deal with clones every single episode and they're already you know, saying maybe this isn't this isn't right, and obviously the the, uh, the slick the clone that betrays them is a, is a hypocrite. You know, he's killing his his brothers even though he's claiming to free them. He's claiming to try to free them. It still you know places this huge seed of doubt, and that's what it feels like. Like the entirety of the Clone Wars exists to make us doubt all the power structures that we are given, and like everything we are told is good in the prequels and in the original trilogy. Now it's it feels like this show exists to say, but maybe not. <laughs> yeah. And I do like that, you know, like he's technically like the villain of the episode, but they don't completely vilify him. You know, at, at the very end, I do think they give him enough of a moment to explain himself to do exactly what you said it does, which is just kind of cast out. You're like, okay, this guy may have been a bit extreme, but maybe, maybe there's a point in there. And then outside of that, just another thing I want to mention is uh, another reason I like this episode a lot is we get the really fun dynamic of Obi-Wan and Anakin. <laughs> and I think their fight with Ventress is just really cool to watch. They It feels staged like an actual lightsaber battle, which is another reason I like this more than uh, the Tartakovsky or even a lot of cartoons, which seems like battles are just everybody jumping 40 feet in the air, swinging way faster than as possible you know with with these fights uh, and it's probably just because you know the the animation is 3d but there feels to be a lot more like realistic level of physicality in the fights um so on you ha you have this really cool jedi centric part of the episode here and then the part that is about like the clone betrayal it's a fun little like isolated mystery um and it it pr it, it feels like it proves that this 
and it justifies the purpose of this series, which is, you know, the Jedi are going to come in and out. And I mean, Anakin and Ahsoka are like co-leads of the series, but it proves that you can have episodes that are very clone centric, that are fully entertaining and can end up feeling just as much Star Wars as as a, an Anakin or Obi-Wan episode. Yes, yeah, the equivalent of the, this, the film spinoffs. Uh, it allows you to get away from just the epic bombacity of the Jedi and really dive into the grit of what you know, what these everyday people have to live through. <laughs> about about the, uh, the, um, the uh, dynamic between Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan. They live where they're, they're, dri- they're driving in. They realize that there's a lot of droids watching and follow, following them. They're like, Oh, that means it's a trap. I imagine it is. Well, that's unfortunate for them. <laughs> it's just so nonchalant. They've done this a hundred times before. Well, we're just going to spring the trap and see what happens. And I love just how completely nonchalant, especially Obi-Wan is about all of this. He's just going to, he's just there, there to do his job. He's, he's never going to allow himself to get too worked up about what's happening. And it really does feel like it leads very organically to where we find them at the, you know, just that opening scene of Revenge of the Sith and the way they they fly with each other and then battle on, on the ship. It feels like this is that same, like, dynamic. Um, so I think this fits itself in with the, uh, one, one of the things that I liked about this whole arc going back even to Cat and Mouse is it works really well watching it after Attack of the Clones as we're seeing this dynamic established and then lead into Revenge of the Sith. All right, now, now moving into the, the Clone Wars film, um, it's a directed by, technically directed by Dave Filoni, but I, I very highly suspect that the five individual episodes were directed by other people, then he kind of took over and, um, and oversaw stitching altogether. Uh, it was written by Henry Gilroy, Scott Murphy, and Stephen Melching. Um, it's a, it, it's, it really does seem to be five episodes because I was watching like, you know, just watching the rise and fall of the story and like each chapter is structured like an episode, you know, you ha- the way it's built. So I think it's five with about 10, 20 minutes of, you know, just scenes that are stitched in here and there to just flow it out and, and, you know, give exposition and, you know, make it uh, seem slightly more like one story, even though it really doesn't. Uh, that's why like, it is a terrible movie. It has no flow. The characterization is really is really thin. The plot just feels very coincidental and, and, and insignificant. But when you view it as the final episode of the Christophsis arc, sits onto this four episode arc of uh, of the separatists kidnapping Jabba the Hutt's son and then you know trying to trying to essentially turn the Hutt clan against the Republic, and then obviously Anakin and Obi Wan and Ahsoka trying to thwart that. It it actually it's a, it's a fairly solid little um little uh, arc of TV for an animated kid show. It's not my favorite arc. I think it has a lot of problems, but it's 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 not terrible when viewed as five episodes of a TV show. So episode one would be the battle in the streets on Christophus's, uh, which I, I think is is pretty cool. Um, we get this is where you see the budget, the extra budget they threw at the film. I think is really played up here when you you have the the droid army coming down. And then the, there's this really cool scene where the clones charge forward and the camera is like handheld shaky cam following them. And, you know, it's like moving around doing quick zooms. And it's like feels like really, really intense war photography. And they're able to get a lot of cool shots. And it's just you feel the weight and intensity of these guys fighting. Um, and you have Anakin jumping down with the jet troopers. It's just it's just a lot of fun, I think. And then you have the introduction of Ahsoka, who 
I, yeah, I, I, as I said before, I did not like her at all. I think she's she's a rather she's kind of a problem. Like, were Jedi allowed to have Padawans before they were masters? Doesn't that what, what becoming a master means? Like this is something that's, like I, I you know I since I, I I come to like her across the series, I kind of like let it go. But if he's only is art are Jedi Knights allowed to have Padawans? I don't know. What do you think about that? How does that did that ever strike you as weird? Yeah, I mean, it definitely did. I mean, just because you know. She, I mean, she refers to him as master. Oh, that would make sense. You know, just, I, mean, I guess if he is her master in that, like, master Padawan sense. But that's always made sense before because, like, well, yes, of course, like, he is the master, like, even just outside of, like, a master Padawan relationship. He's a Jedi master. So, I mean, I don't know if I can say it. It contradicts anything that's ever explicitly said, but it, it has, at least for me, felt like just generally understood mm-hmm. that masters are the people who get padawans uh, but like you i end up really liking her so it's i guess uh obi-wan did Im- pick up anakin immediately upon becoming a knight so maybe that's true and I, I don't think we're meant to believe that obi-wan becomes a master right at the end of the phantom menace either so so uh, ahsoka is a teenage tagruda um and she's <laughs> her costume is really ridiculous it makes no sense especially in a battle setting but whatever uh my main problem with her is that she's just really annoying. Like she's like super self-confident and basically constantly questioning and talking back to everyone around her, including the Jedi or Jedi master. But she like, she's so overconfident, but she has zero experience and actual weight behind how snarky she is. And like, she's constantly quipping and making like mocking Anakin and then, you know, being proven wrong. And she just kind of, she's just kind of annoying. Like, uh, I think they're trying to make her cute and snippy. They obviously call her snips, but it just, it doesn't work. She just, she just comes off as grating and just, just shut up, child. You don't know what you're talking about. Go away. Yeah. I mean, as you said, she has no experience and in Rex's book, experience outranks anything. Yes. So. How do we listen to Captain Rex? Oh, oh man. I, this show is worth watching just for Captain Rex. Um, but just about her, like it's, it feels like a really weird way to try to introduce a character that you... I mean, I feel like you're already having to try to prove something by this being an animated series. Uh, although, I mean, I, there there was a lot of positive reaction to Clone Wars. Um, the series or the movie? Uh, the uh, the Tartakovsky series. Oh, oh, yeah. And so, I mean, I guess you, you don't have quite as much to prove because you know, to a lot of people you've proven it can work a lot. But you are introducing a new primary character and it just feels like the way to get the audience on board with this new leading character is not to have her, like, give her... You just load her up with all of these really weird quirks. Like I said earlier, just, I mean, I was annoyed with you know, the constant, like, nicknames and things like Artui and Stinky and... Um, Sky Guy. Sky Guy and all of these other... It's just, like, every every quirk and character like these weird character things with her are just, they come all at once and it's all packaged with this overly confident bratty little character. It's just like, you are really not doing yourself any favors in trying to get me on board with this series because at this point, I'm really not wanting to, to go through six full seasons with this character. And she like, she doesn't ever like the first time she's on a mission with Anakin, she doesn't, Listen, like she she jumps out of the cover way too soon and sets off all the all the um 
all the guard droids. And the, 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 the series never punishes her for how arrogant she is and how disobedient she is. It's just kind of like, she, I guess basically she's like Anakin. She disobeys gets away with it. But I like Anakin more. <laughs> she's not as annoying. <laughs> yeah, um, so that's, a, that's the first episode. I think the, the second episode would have been the introduction of the uh, Jabba arc where you have Jabba's son is kidnapped by people. We don't know who, uh, obviously the separatists. And then you have, uh, both the, the Republic and the separatists kind of contacting him and saying, Oh, the other, the other side is behind it. And you know, we'll, we'll get your son back. No, we'll get your son back. And they, and they, they invade this ancient temple kind of in a jungle. And I think the invasion scene is pretty cool. Like it feels like kind of like a D day thing where they're flying in and the flat guns and all that. And then once they land, they have, they have the ATTEs climbing up the face of the cliff, which is just the coolest thing ever. Um, I think that that whole uh, attack scene on the um, on the temple is really cool. Uh, then you know they, they rescue his son, and then uh, moving into episode three, I think is the counterattack where the uh, the droids come back and try to pretending to be rescuing Jabba's son, who they are already captured. I don't know. Jabba just feels kind of <laughs> gullible to to fall for the idea that it was the Jedi who uh, captured him, but I don't know, whatever. Yeah, that, that cliff scene, to me, is like, probably like my highlight for the, the theatrical film. Uh, the the music's a bit weird going up, but just the look of everything. You can, and I feel like this is where, you know, they put a lot of the budget in as well. It's It feels like one of the big action scenes they'd want to highlight. Yeah, I wrote down for the music... It's not Star Wars-y, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely not bad. And maybe it's just because it occurs so early chronologically uh, that it's, it feels a bit weird getting straight into the series and, and having this. Although I guess it does a good job at differentiating itself from everything else. Uh, but just their, their race up the cliff is one of the moments where I don't think that she's completely annoying. Um, and I think one of the things that I do like about it is that it, establishes a little bit of a different dynamic that Anakin's never really had with anyone else because before, you know, when he tries to do all these outlandish things, especially in Attack of the Clones, he's, he's berated by Obi-Wan, who himself will go out and do all these crazy things himself. Um, but here, he's kind of got someone else who, like, if he does something, they're going to kind of want to match him in that. And so it feels like her character allows him to have a, a little bit more fun with someone else and not actually have to like bear any sort of like the the social consequences of being like, well, that was risky. Instead, they're gonna be like, oh, that was fun. And so that whole sequence of getting the top and and then her being up there with the um, whatever the the Republic walkers are called, that was just a really fun moment. And the whole sequence of the, the counterattack, I think, is pretty fun. Like, yeah, Rex and and his troops guarding the door, and just Rex being a total badass just th- throughout this entire this in sequence in particular i think he's just get, got given so many moments to shine and then you have ventures coming in and attacking them and then they escape on f- mosquito bugs and obi-wan is uh stop fighting ventures the temple I, I think obi-wan's fight with her is really cool and you just see why he's one of the best fighters like he he kind of he'll always fight defensively and then he'll just find a weakness and just completely exploit it but he'll he'll, he'll also kind of just taunt her and just build on her play on her anger and it's just really cool and there's a lot of great visuals i think in that and uh you see that ventress is just this kind of this creature of 
rage with with who basically overpowers everyone with pure anger. Yeah, that was a that was obviously from the last episode. That was one of the highlights, and so I'm glad they they brought her over. Um, although I do wish that we could have almost just filmed like in the art style of the Clone Wars, like some of the stuff that we did like from Clone Wars, because in this series she doesn't really get a genuine introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems you know Obi Wan and Anakin already know her fairly well by the time they they first fight her in the at the beginning of the the uh, enemy within episode but she is just this really cool character and i love the way she and obi-wan play off each other and it feels weird to say it but she's more personable than her clone than her previous clone wars version which is yeah, really I mean, weird to say for such a like a hateful creep char- character but like the first one is just like pure evil with no personality here you, you definitely she feels like a person just a really nasty, evil person. And by by giving her this personality, they open the opportunity to really flesh her out as the series goes on, and it she really ends up becoming a, just a fantastic character. Yeah. So then, uh, then move, I guess moving into episode five, you have there's a chase, they chase across the space where they're trying to get uh, the the hutling to back to Tatooine, and there's like a whole subplot of, oh no, he has a fever, and we have to give him medicine, <laughs> whatever, I don't care, just Ahsoka's annoying, the baby hut's annoying, just everything on the spaceship's kind of irritating, and I, I wish it would end. Uh, then finally, they in episode five, we get introduced to Padme, which was cool to see, uh, but then she goes to investigate Zero the Hut. I. <laughs> 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 uh, this is a character I hate more than Jar Jar. I didn't know that would ever happen, but it did. Oh, wow, man. I, I wouldn't go that far. I would. He is an abomination. It's terrible. It's awful. It's. I, don't, I have no idea what the hell... I don't know what they're trying for this, to go for with this character, but it works way too well. <laughs> I just want him to die. And he speaks yeah, English. He, Why does the Hutt speak English? It doesn't make sense. The Hutt can speak English. <sighs> he speaks it like a first language. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's 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 weird because you know with with Jabba, it kind of implies like this is what they they sound like. I mean, just because of how huge they are and the voice. Any one in the town like this. <laughs> the voice behind him definitely does not sound like it's coming from this this slug creature. Um, I don't know the design. It's to me, it's. It's more amusing than anything. Like I'm not generally. Where's <laughs> the amusement? No, I see. I'm, I don't know. I, I mean, I always remember him. I remember Jar Jar. For me, Jar Jar still takes the cake with ease. But uh, yeah, it's. And again, when you're using this theatrical film as the introduction, why? <laughs> Zero the Hut is a character. If you have to use him, that you wait like three seasons in but, when people but, are like. The problem is he doesn't need to be here. This, this plot has absolutely no requirement for Zero. Like, you literally have Dooku cap- kidnaps his Like, Dooku kidnaps his son anyway. All Zero does is provide the, the win and where information. That's like that's, That doesn't have to be a plot point. There was no reason for him to even be included in this film. Or even in the episode. Like, he, he doesn't serve any any real function. He's just kind of a, an extra step that really doesn't need to be there. And he's a horrible extra step. Uh, but it, it does give us a chance to see, you know, cool Padme in action, you know, with her investigating skills and all, you know, always be able to get herself out of trouble. That's, that's, that's fun to see. But the good stuff, I think, where this movie really kicks into high gear 
is when they finally land on Tatooine and we get some nice uh, callbacks to Luke's theme. But as they're walking across the desert, I just love how it's visualized. We get some really just great landscape shots, like during the daytime, during twilight, at night. Just every the way that uh, they, they photograph the desert and, the, and they light it is just, I think, very visually uh, stunning. Yeah, I mean, speaking of uh, of callbacks, there's a lot of really cool callbacks to both. I mean, obviously, very explicit callbacks to the the prequels, but um, with Luke's theme, with these other moments, um, it really it, it reminded me a little bit of of like the the way we bragged about Solo, where it's there's cool references, but it just kind of happens with the pace of the movie. It never typically never really pauses to to say, hey, look at this. Um, and we even get, you know, lines like, this is where the fun begins. Just, you've got those those lines that we all know really well. And they kind of work here as well. But there's so much to talk about. Like the sand. <laughs> we we should have, man, what a missed opportunity for another sand monologue. And then, and, you know, as it starts to close, you have Dooku coming in. They, they split up. And then you have the, the, the guard, his General Grievous' guard droids attacking Ahsoka and Dooku attacking Anakin. And this is where I finally slightly start to warm up to Ahsoka. Is I think they, they finally make her work for her victories. Like fighting the uh, fighting those droids, it looks dangerous and it feels exhausting. Like every time she kills one, it feels like an earned victory. And, and like she's completely beaten down and like broken by the end of that fight. And yeah, I guess just, you know, just having some abuse finally made me... Uh, it made that character feel like it earned the victory she was having all along. And I, I like that they posed a, a great threat to her because that's, you know, as we see in uh, Revenge of the Sith, just a couple of those takes Obi-Wan, you know, a little bit to get through. Yeah, so we, then we get a cool fight between him and Grievous, and then they all arrive together and uh, reveal the nefarious plan and Zero's arrested. and Happy ending! And, uh, oh yeah, Anakin finally accepts, like he's given a chance to... Uh, lose Ahsoka, but he says, yeah, with a little bit of training, you'll be fine, and then happy ending, nice, and like, that's like another reason this is this is not a film, is like the conflict's finished, people arrive, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take her to the Padawan, cut to credits, like, there's there's absolutely no time to, you know, end the film, it just, it just, it's, it's it ends like a 20-minute kids animated show. Yeah, it definitely feels jarring. I remember thinking, you know, since I, I didn't actually see it in the theater, I remember thinking, whenever I first saw it, I was like, Man, I I can't imagine too many people were walking away with it, like away from this super happy just because it is just such an unceremonious ending and that's just the polar opposite of what Star Wars is known for. They like, the endings are always like these musically charged um moments the intercutting between all of these different threads that have been worked to or or just this huge climax to what the whole film is, and then here's just oh okay cool the end. Um, let's talk about a, a little bit m- about something that kind of bothers me here is uh, one of the things that this series does really well, or just a, a little thing that they do that goes a long way with me is Anakin never sees Grievous in person throughout the series to make the you know <laughs> the fact that they they meet for the first time in Revenge of the Sith still make sure sense. Than I expected. Uh, exactly, but they don't do the exact same thing with Dooku, which is you know when he says, uh, "System, I'm I'm twice as power or whatever he says, I'm more powerful than last we met." And Dooku says, "Good, you know, twice the pride, double the full." 
And and they meet about 17 times across yeah. the series. So I guess canonically he's saying, you know, like I'm even more powerful than I was two weeks ago. Yeah. But uh but it's just a little thing. <laughs> At this rate, we're gonna be here all night, but hey, if we're gonna talk about the Clone Wars, we're gonna talk about the Clone Wars. I don't care. Um so the next episode is, is Clone Cadets, direct, directed by Dave Filoni. Um, this was season three, episode one, and written by Cameron Litvak. Uh, this is just, it's basically a sports movie. You have this, uh, this five-man team of clones who, were, who are in training, and they have to you know, conquer this one final obstacle before they can be uh, officially designated as clones and shipped off to war. Uh, the training is overseen by Shakti and two bounty hunters, and it, you know it, it's all basically sports film cliches. Like, the, oh, they can't work together, so they can never they can never uh, finish the obstacle because they're all, everyone's trying to do his own thing. It's all pretty simple, but I, I do enjoy it. It gives us a chance to see the um, you know, the whole process of you know what is it like? To, how do these clones come to be? And just this is just a, a glimpse into. Uh, that whole process and the training process and you know how it how it all works and, and I I enjoy that in spite of you know, just it's very simple the drama is, is kind of rote but uh, I think it's a fun little fun little uh, bottle episode. Yeah, I kind of like how self-contained it is. This is actually one of my favorites from from this first season, partially because I I really love Camino and I love any opportunity we get to spend on Camino, and I also like again it's doing. What I love that the series does is it's able to take us behind the curtain a little bit in ways the movie's never able to, and so did we like have an actual canon version of like what it looks like to to train as a clone, the process they go through, the fact that they hire bounty hunters to see through training, uh, you know what the that the fact that you know not all the clones are clone probably we have bad batches like ninety nine who's, I mean that's a horrifying concept like a batch of humans doesn't turn out right and there's like this twisted deformed kind of <laughs> igor like person but he's he's actually really awesome I, I love 99 he's a really really nice character but but it, it's it's a really disturbing just side effect of the whole notion of you know, creating humans is you might create make have an accident and you have a bad batch and uh, at least they didn't uh, dispose of him which would be really disturbing yeah i mean the character is, I mean, he's, he probably could fall into, you know, one of the many, like, sports cliches. It's just, like, that guy on the sideline who's there to cheer you on no matter how much of a jerk you are. And he's, but I, I just really love the character, you know. You get that ending where he says, uh, I forget who, I think it may be Heavy. It's whoever the leader is, you know. Um, 99 says, you know, you're lucky to be able to do this or, or, or no like your team is lucky to have you as a leader and he says not as lucky as I am to have you as a brother and it's just like so just cheesy but I I really really like it yeah just a great he's just a great person but I, one of the things you know there's not a whole lot to talk about this episode I'm just describing it as pretty much all it all it really needs but I do like a lot of the way it's filmed uh just the training, like the way the training works is really cool. Uh, I love the aesthetic of it all. Uh, and there's just a, a couple of really cool shots where I know the movie gives us a lot of cinematic stuff. Um, but the show is able to give some really cool stuff as well. And I know there's a shot of, of them approaching the wall and the camera just kind of slowly rises up. 
and then ultimately reveals the flag in like the upper left it, it feels like a movie and you know to see that so early on in the series kind of means you know it's only going to get better as it goes on but um there's a lot of cool moments like that yeah the the battle <laughs> to borrow yeah, andrew's game term the battle room is, is really fun. Next episode is Supply Lines, uh, directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell. This was season three, episode three, uh, written by Stephen Melchin, Eogan Mahoney, and Drew Z. Greenberg. Uh, this one is interesting. I both love and hate this episode. Uh, the main, main story is uh, Jedi Master Imagundi is on Ryloth with the fighting, fighting for the Twi'leks uh, alongside Resistance leader Cham Syndulla important character that'll come back uh and they are basically out of men and supplies and they're basically they're just fighting a retreating battle as the separatists um keep keep just coming and they have a bunch of civilians and they're trying to get the civilians out of danger um and so meanwhile bail organa and jar jar binks why uh <laughs> are going to toyadaria to defense king to convince king katunko uh to allow them to use their planet as a staging ground so they can deliver uh relief supplies to the suffering citizens on Ryloth. Uh, but then you have, I don't know. Is that, is it, um, what's the name Moidian's name? Uh, new, is that new? No, uh, they actually refer to him at the very beginning because, uh, they accuse them of being a part of everything that happened before. And, and, he says, Newt Gunray was an extremist and does not represent the trade federation. Oh yeah. The, the, I forget that. I remember that now. That was really cool. Just the notion that the Trade Federation, after all they've done, has been able to just kind of cast off anyone who gets caught but continue operating within the Republic. And, and doing the exact same thing, yeah. Also, just a little thing. Did So, did you catch the joke in the Jedi Master's name? I don't know. I'm bad at this. So, if you pronounce it the way it, it kind of looks, it's, I'm a gun die. <laughs> okay. Uh, that is clever. But... Anyways, sad though because I love him. Yeah, yeah. So um, so you you have basically kind of the the, the Republic troops fighting a losing battle on one side, and then them trying basically trying to, to use some diplomacy to get to get the supplies in they need. Um. So yeah, but for, for, first off, what I hate this is the introduction to Jar Jar within the Clone Wars series, and I don't I don't, I don't understand this. I I don't. Why? Like, who? I guess. I mean, obviously, it must have been Lucas's idea. He, like, obviously, he cares about the character. If he didn't care about the character, he would have just written him out of the Attack of the Clones. But he actually gave him a purpose there, so he obviously likes the character. But to make him give him a major role in this show, after you know everyone universally in the entire world to a man hates him. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's a... I forget where I saw it. I, I, I believe there's, there's an interview with Dave Filoni who he's being very, very proper and dignified about the way he goes about it, but kind of skirting <laughs> around like, so why Jar Jar? And he's like, oh, sure, Lucas really likes him. And uh, <laughs> I, I, There's a behind-the-scenes interview and they're, they're, it's uh, him and Henry Gilroy and they're, they're like so apologetic about the fact that they had to bring Jar Jar back. Like they're obviously, you know, they made the show, so they're they're proud of it and they're trying to spin it as best they can. But you can see they're both kind of squirming because they got because they know that everyone's glaring at them yeah. right now. But uh it really does annoy me though, just because it should have been he's not terrible in Attack of the Clones, and they actually use just his 
just buffoon type character to good effect in Attack of the Clones by giving Palpatine, you know, the the power. Um, and then he's almost completely absent from Revenge of the Sith, other than being in the background. They do they do use his buffoon type character. Oh, they here. use it, but <laughs> oh, it's it's horrible. So it just feels like they course corrected in the right kind of way. Or he's not just like, they're like, okay, well, we're not even going to address him. Or, hey, look, he dies in the first scene. And so to just, to do right by the fans, only to go back. And I know I'm usually the person always arguing against, you don't have to do it, like go out of your way to please fans. But maybe in this case you should have. Because it doesn't make sense that a fully functional republic with all of these different ambassadors, like it, it makes no sense. And the thing is, all of the characters in the series are more than willing to acknowledge that he's an idiot. Like, in this episode, you know, whenever he finds out that he's going with charge, it's like, oh, man. Like, you, nobody nobody wants to work with him. Everybody is fully aware. It's not like everybody's oblivious to the fact that he's an idiot. The, the whole, every character knows it. And so it just, it it really hurts, like, the story in my mind whenever I'm being told that all of these otherwise completely intelligent people are like, all right, send Jar Jar. That is a good idea that I'm signing off on. It's, it's so frustrating. And like you didn't like what, what should be, you know, a, a scene of clever politics ends up being Jar Jar doing an interpretive dance while the ship sneak, or literally like sneaking by over the, over the, uh, the trade version guy's shoulder. It's ridiculous. However, on the other side of the story is pure, epicness the same guy robin atkin downs voices both uh general d and champs and doula and this this is like you have one side is a total cartoon the other side is like real gritty warfare like where they are they are literally they're retreating they have no support they're out of food out of ammo there's hundreds of civilians who are starving and this i think here we are shown what the republic should be what what the true the jedi at their truest form you know literally laying down their lives we have you know at the end there's this this last stand where he has like 20 clones left and they blow up their last of their ships so so there's only one direction the enemy can come and they're just going to stand and fight until they're all dead so that maybe syndulla can get his people to safety and it's just this beautiful picture of nobility and it's, it's just an epic sequence. And just the, I really like General D. I think he's a really fun, not fun, but really just, just epic so character. Um, and like exactly what a Jedi should be. Yeah. For Ryloth, for the Twi'leks. And that, like his actual death, like with a, him falling down. It's just that to me was like mature beyond the level of a of a kid's show where He's dead, and we get that glimmer of hope, like as we're laying with his body, where you have all of the cheers, like, and we're, we're like, we're through, we've got the supplies, and we're the camera is literally like feet away from his body, and we're hearing it from his own intercom, like that, that belongs in a movie. It's just so fantastic. Yeah, it's like it's. I guess it's a victory, but you know, it, it required all this death and sacrifice, you know, just to help this group of people. And you know, just the way the way it's shot, where you have hit all the guys are killed until it's finally down to him and that captain, and he's wounded, and they just keep fighting on until they're just basically like obliterated by laser fire. It's 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 dark, but it's able to give you know this moment of sacrifice that that gives hope. It, you know, it feels a lot like the ending of Rogue One. You know, it's so bleak, but it it shows you know the hope that can be accomplished through sacrifice. Yeah, and I guess just a, a 
something positive to say about the other side of the story, though. I I do like seeing the idea of like neutral systems and planets that want to be out of this whole war going on entirely. Um, and I really like seeing the the Toydarians in their like actual culture, and to find out that uh, Watto isn't actually like this representative of what they're actually like, and seeing how how noble and upright they uh, they operate. I think King Katunko is actually like a really cool character. I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. And and I do like the, you know, the political maneuvering that like Jar Jar's a blithering idiot, but Bail Organ is actually clever and he's, you know, tra- playing the system to find a way to basically sneak the supplies off without, without, a without a implicating uh, uh, the, the Toydarians. The next episode is ambush, which actually was, it served as the pilot for the show in the release order. This was directed by Dave Bullock. It was written by Stephen Melching. The Supply Lines episode ends with King Katunko meeting with Belogan and saying, yeah, I'm ready to talk about to the uh, to the Jedi about joining the Republic. And then this one is Yoda flying to uh, Toyederia to uh, negotiate that. So putting this as the pilot and then having the next, this Supply Lines episode in season three is like, wait, why are we? Why are they obviously neutral again? We already had this whole conflict resolved on the very first episode of the season, of the show. It may, this was one thing that really makes no sense. However, it does function, I think, as a real, kind of a neat pilot. Um, you know, we're introduced to, you know, we get some cool clone combat. We just get a lot of Yoda badassery as he's uh, as he's uh, fighting off the uh, all the droids, basically single handedly. Um, so yeah, the story is they they're flying to Twitter to negotiate. Asajj Ventress shoots them down and basically comes to the king and saying, I'm going to try to avoid saying Katunko as much as possible. But it's such a fun name to say, Katunko. She basically comes and says, if we can beat the Jedi, it proves the, the Separatists are stronger and you should join us. And so it, basically it's kind of a game of, of strength um, kind of put on for the king to decide so he can decide who he's, um, who he's going to join. Um, and just the, the, I just love the chance to see Yoda, you know, not not in the Jedi Temple, but out in the field, actually leading troops. And just he's just an awesome leader. He's just so kind and caring. He's down to three clones in the end. And, you know, he's inspiring them. He, you know, he tells them to take off their helmets in a moment when they're in a cave and like and tell, you know, you know, even though you have the same face, you are all you know unique people, and you actually matter to me. You know, he's not treating them like like clones, and he's affirming their individuality and humanity. He even he even uses his lightsaber to weld a crutch for one of them. It's just like yeah, he's just a. It's so nice to see him, kind of in this leadership role that we never. I don't think we ever really get to see him again like that. Yeah, I, and I really love that scene in the cave. It's it's just like a really sweet moment with the character. Um, and even though, you, you know, I mean, obviously he's doing an impression, but you can tell a difference between Tom Kane and between Frank Oz. But I, I really, really like the, the personality that Tom Kane brings to the character. And I think he is able to, to find the balance that Frank Oz was between like very noble leader, along with kind of his more whimsical aspects, uh, just his kind of grunts and laughs and the way he jokes, uh, and in in the cave, as he asks them to take their helmet off and he gives them this speech, they play his theme again there. Um, so that scene just, 
it's such a and I, I love the clones so to see yoda interact in such a sweet way with these characters that i end up really loving um it's probably the highlight of the episode for me as far as the episode goes i actually i do really like this episode and i like a lot of moments in it but am i alone in thinking that the i guess the idea is a bit silly that that you would wager like an alliance based off of like this very isolated self-contained and not at all indicative of like overall war like show of strength <laughs> like to me it just it feels like especially if you watch it in chronological order and we're proceeding you see this fully formed government that it hears both sides of the argument they take time to deliberate it feels very real world to me um and so then to have him be like hmm well you got about 20 clones and a Jedi over here, and you got some droids here. I guess this is a good indication of of the grand scheme of things I'll, I'll base my decision off of. <laughs> it's a good show. <laughs> but there's other moments where it just doesn't feel like... So I guess just for, for me, the premise feels a little bit silly, especially considering I feel like across this whole series, there's rarely any time I feel like I have to apologize for anything by saying it's a kid's show. Uh, so when I do have to, I guess it just sticks out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, I love just the way they they have to use all these guerrilla tactics to fight off the the, uh, the droids. You know, they have to divide you know divide them rather than kill them one at a time. And whenever Yoda goes at it, is just amazing. Like where he'll jump into the middle of the, the droids and you know make them shoot each other. Where he lifts up a droid and literally turns him around and shoots all the other droids until they kill him. And I love that moment. Uh, it it's kind of goes back to what we were saying. Uh, or at least what one of the things that I love from Attack of the Clones, which is how much it, it looks like it takes for him to concentrate in, in using the Force. And then we have him just going completely crazy in, in the Tartakovsky series. But here it's it's back more in line with the films where yeah. he's having to hide and have them like cover for him while he concentrates to lift like one singular droid to use him to shoot the others. Uh, that was a really cool moment. Or yeah. <laughs> when, he, uh, when he's riding the back of a clone blocking lasers. <laughs> And then the the final fight where he he goes into the tank and he's killing everyone on the inside. You have like two droids run out of the back and then he pulls them back <laughs> in. So cool. And you, all you see is the green flashes of light and like pieces fly out. It's, it's like a horror scene. The whole series obviously has a very playful nature. Sometimes they go overboard in the humor, but this is like the fact they play up the fact that it's a cartoon while still being really yeah. epic. And I think the last really cool thing from Yoda's there's something so cool to me about him catching ventress like with the force stopping her blades he totally owns her it's really like seeing how how hard of a time she's given other characters and he just kind of walks up with his cane and his arm extended and he's like "Mm, you know glad i could arrive it just seems so (laughs) nonchalant i I love that scene yeah uh next episode is malevolent rising malevolence uh this is directed by dave filoni the first two episodes in this, this is the, the Malevolence arc. The first two episodes were written by Stephen Melching. Uh, and me being a history buff, I've always had a really special affection for this because just watching it, I saw a lot of parallels between um, between the story of the Malevolence and the story of a, a World War II Nazi warship called the Bismarck, which is basically the biggest, most powerful battleship ever made. And they, you know, they, they deployed it. And essentially, the entire British Navy just came down and hunted it down until they destroyed it. It's very similar to this story. And they actually, there's a lot of parallels. First off, the way it destroys 
it just just destroys the battleship and kills them all with no survivors. That's actually happened with, with uh, the the British battleship, the Hood. Um, they got the Bismarck got around into their magazine and blew up the ship. And out of the fourteen hundred man crew, only three survived. That's how big, that's how devastating the explosion was. So just like the way they they were able to parallel this, this historical story within this um this kid this animated kids show, I thought it was really clever, and it it just shows a level of sophistication and thought that that's behind these stories. And then finally, when I actually like this week watched the behind the scenes commentary and like. Yeah, so we wanted to make a Bismarck story. We're like, yep, I knew it. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, the, the, uh, as I said, the history buff in me really, really likes this one. Yeah, I, I actually really like this episode a lot. Um, I didn't actually know about the, the history and how they, they drew those parallels, but I did like that it felt very like real world in, in its tactics and the way they were using this ship and um, the priority it was given and things like that. And then just the episode itself is is really dark um i i love plo um yes he man his death in revenge of the sith hits me way harder now because he is such a great character but i love how it kind of establishes that ahsoka isn't just this person who randomly showed up and is only tied with anakin and obi-wan now but that we we find out this history she has with him and why she's so dead set on rescuing him, uh, and I just I like the going like I like going back and forth between just this story of survival between the clones and, and Plo, and we get a similar vibe uh, that at least for me, although much more like one kind of with this impending doom, but it's a similar like feel to the way Yoda interacted with the clones, where it's it's like your lives matter to me. We're going to get out of this and I'm not just going to use you as fodder. Like right now we're all just soldiers trying to survive uh, and cutting between that, like that sense of like, just like a sense of desperateness to, uh, to Ahsoka and her, you know, trying her best to get out there. And it's very much in line with the character we had in the movie. Um, And then Anakin I, I kind of love the lesson he gives Ahsoka in this episode where it's like, I'm fully on board with you and your idea, but you've like, I've, I've done this for quite a while now. I, you've got to quote unquote play by the rules, uh, in, in how you break the rules. Mm-hmm. Just, just pretend to dis- pretend to obey and then do what you want anyway. <laughs> just d- then- don't, don't argue in the open. Just do exactly. it. And then and think of how you can twist it to say like, oh, well, actually what we were doing was, um, and I mean, I love that he, he's honest about it too. And in some ways he's actually, in a lot of ways, he's a better master here to Ahsoka than Obi-Wan was to him in Attack of the Clones. <laughs> but he's very honest about it. It's like, it's, it's not even what you said, it's how you said it. Um, yeah. And so this is where I really like, more so than the film, I'm, I'm still not totally, you know, like, 100% on board with her character at this point, but she's a way more likable here. I, you, I, I really like root for her and her relationship with Plo and her wanting to get there. And, and I think they established a really strong dynamic between her and Anakin in this one. It's Plo Koon's awesome. He's so all, he never loses. He's cool. He's uh, even like in the face of certain death, he's always got this really great, you know, center and serenity about him. 
and I, I like I really like his voice as well. Um, uh, but yes, and he said like even though Ahsoka is still kind of bratty in this one, she's doing it because she wants to save an old friend. It's not just because she's trying to show off. So even though she's still kind of annoying, there's there's a better story reason for it. Yeah. Um. So yeah. The, the, so what happens is uh. Um, Plo Koon and Yalaran's ships are destroyed by Grievous and they escape into pods and they're in the pods stuck in the pods as these uh, you know these scavenger uh, ships are going around and oh, it's, it's so gruesome they're, they're finding the pods full of clones and officers and just cutting them open and the clones are just sucked out into space to die <laughs> it's just, this is a kid show this is, this is a, I'm going to say this a lot but it, it's really disturbing just how violent this is and they're you know they're going around and be literally killing these survivors, and it's just a matter of time as Anakin and uh, Ahsoka are trying to find him. Uh, there's one weird part where they go out into space. You know, I guess you know Plo has his respirator and so do the uh, clones, but it's a little weird. But it is it is so actually, cool. When, I really like that uh, that moment. First of all, it proves that you can survive in space. Everybody, there's a bit of layer there. <laughs> uh, but to me, I like visually. I think that whole scene is really cool. I love him like using the force to to push the clone behind the enemies and blast him from there. And it's a cool moment. The next episode is Shadow of the Malevolence, uh, directed by Brian Kilan O'Connell. Um, this one is where An- Anakin leads a troop of Y wings with Ahsoka and Plo Koon to go and cripple um, the Malevolence, which is bearing down on a uh, on a clone hospital station. And this is again is a is a uh, historical parallel to where the British sent out a, uh, some biplanes to go and crippled the Bismarck till the sh- till the battleships could arrive and to sink it. So yeah, another cool parallel. Um, it, is this one not too much happens? Um, most of it seems to be is they're them flying through the uh, a nebula and seeing giant mantas, which are pretty intimidating. With the with solo now like a movie, it's it's cool. Like I'm always kind of a big monster fan, and so now we've got giant manta rays and squids in the air, and all these giant Godzilla-sized fish in the sea. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, I yeah, I really don't have a whole lot to say about this episode. Most of most of what I had written was just a lot of visual things that I'd liked. Uh, I think it's really cool that we see like the canonical introduction of the Y bombers. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I, I, I originally thought they were early designs, but that when they I watched special features, they're actually the exact same ships, just with extra pieces that are broken off later on when we see them. Details like that are, are really cool to know that they're they're looking at all these little small things and like getting visual continuity right. Yeah, and it's cool. Like just the idea of a ship so big that you can't destroy it with lasers like it's it they've crippled the ship and it's this huge burning hulk just the vision of this gigantic ship flying through space as it's burning is really cool but the fact that they it's so huge that they can just keep shooting at it forever and it'll never uh crash which it was again you know a callback to the bismarck story third episode in this arc is the destroy malevolence uh, also directed by brian kaylin o'connell and written by tim burns it's always a little weird trying to decipher um, Palpatine's plans. Like, I guess, I guess he really wanted the Malevolence to live for some reason because he sends, basically pretends to be sending Padme on a mission and then drops her off right in front of the Malevolence so they can 
kidnap her as a bargaining chip, which you would think someone would eventually wise up to the fact that he he was the one who sent them there, but I guess they're not that smart. So one of the things that I actually liked is um, she mentions that he got the information um, from the Federation, I believe, or something like that. Like, mm. there's there's a one line of dialogue in which she said that he came by it by, and I want to say it was it was a treasure. Now maybe they're all idiots for for buying that, <laughs> but I do know that they they did make sure to mention that he got his information from another source. So he always made sure that he. Like, he's got someone to blame. People are like, oh, well, those people lied to me. Like, he's kind of covering his tracks. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so then you have, uh, of course, Anakin and Obi-Wan with their typical harebrained plans to go and rescue her. And, you know, classic Jedi antics ensue. It's just, I like, I like this, is, this is a train for some reason in the middle of the ship, which seems to be fl- driving lo- uh, longer than the ship actually is. But, hey, it's fun. And <laughs> as you said, uh Anakin and Grievous never meet. However, we do get some pretty cool fights with um with uh, Obi Wan and Grievous. Uh, this is the Grievous I like. Like he's basically an all powerful god in the Clone Wars, but here he is a de- he's a threat. He's a formidable threat, but he's also he's a he will he has no honor, so he will run at the, 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 the second a fight turns against him. But it's not necessarily that he's a coward. It's just he doesn't. He just wants to survive. You know, he, he will go in there and fight in person, but he'll always try to stack the odds in his favor. And as soon as the odds are in his favor, he's, he's out of there. Um, so, you know, I like that you have you know, that really slimy aspect about him, but the fact that he is a genuine threat uh, kind of balanced out against, you know, the cowardly side. Yeah, and, it, and again, it's it's hard to hold anything against the Tartakovsky series about his character because I'm but not by sure. By golly, he, I'll do it. Oh, well, well, because <laughs> I much prefer this one, I will. But... I mean, we we really have no idea what information they had about his character at that point. Uh, he could he could have very much originally been exactly what what he was there, but but I do like that he's very much the same Grievous, even down to the voice. Uh, I know it's not the same voice actor, but it's a uh, Matthew Wood who also voices the all the the uh, battle droids. Okay, uh, I guess just through all the effects that you're able to put him through, to me he sounds like almost identical. Yeah. Um, and so this episode actually has a, a couple other moments that I love where it's the the writers are very much aware of like the lines that that stick out to the fandom um, like Grievous jumping behind Obi-Wan and saying hello there <laughs> um, and then I think it's it, as they're flying towards the malevolence and uh, Obi-Wan says uh, spinning is not flying and Anakin just says but it's a good trick <laughs> Oh, yeah, I remember that. There's just yeah. a lot of of uh, funny lines, and then there's there's other lines that like it feels like they're definitely writing this show, hoping that you know, like an older audience is also watching. Uh, because which, just, which is a safe bet with anything Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. I would just say it's probably almost equal. Um, but like, there's little things like there's there's touches that I don't think a younger audience would pick up on, like whenever they rescue Padme and she's, she's manning the guns and Obi-Wan just kind of says, you know, she seems to know her way around here. Like it's kind of carries that implication that yeah, she does. She's probably been on that ship several times and no one just really knows. But yeah, there's just cool ways that it's kind of acknowledging the state of affairs and everything. And then they sabotage the hyperdrive and send it. And basically they pull a Haldo except it's into a moon. And 
Uh, unfortunately, the moon doesn't split. That would have been pretty cool to see. <laughs> I like how it's just like as soon as Grievous realizes what's happening, he's just like, yep, see you guys. And he ditches the ship and they just into a planet. I think it's funny that, you know, as soon as he's being like chastised by Dooku, he just turns off the comms and keeps flying. Yeah. Um, so next episode is Rookies, uh, directed by Justin Ridge. This was uh, direct, it was written by Stephen Melching. Um, this has been the same uh, troop of clone cadets that we saw in um, Clone Cadets. Uh, the heavy Echo 5's droid bait and cut up. They're stationed on a remote radar post on Orishi Moon. Which I love. I, I don't remember where it is exactly we hear about that, but I, I know that we hear about the Rishi Moons. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a single line. It's probably not somehow a callback to something somewhere. And, I, you know, it's just like, you know, it's the fact that not all of the war is exciting. So you, you know, you might get sent to the front lines or you might get stuck on a radar post somewhere in the middle of nowhere. But adventure will always find you in Star Wars and find you it does in the form of a team of commando droids um, who are set to take out the post so that they won't see Grievous's attack coming on on Kamino. And uh, commando droids are awesome. You know, like, like battle droids are pretty much exclusively useless. You know, they just walk towards you and, and get shot. But these guys are like super agile. They're jumping around, they're moving around, and they're they're pretty much they're probably better than clone troopers, actually. And you You watch your mouth. <laughs> well, they're better than most clone troopers. Maybe not uh, Cody and Rex. They're no match for them. Good man, that Cody. I love that line. Yeah. And uh yeah, so they 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 just come in and wipe everything out. It's it's they're they're legitimately scary in just how agile they are. Um a droid bait, one of the clones, is killed, and the four remaining escape and are kind of hiding out, like, what do we do now? And then this is, seems to be kind of stretching credulity, credulity, credulity a bit. Uh, but Rex and Cody arrive for a routine inspection. You kind of wonder why, like, the two foremost commanders in the army are inspecting this, uh, you know, this rundown little place in the middle of nowhere, but... Hey, whatever. It's, it's, it's a kid's show. Just tell yourself that go on. They come in, and then they join the survivors and retake the base. Uh, I really do like this episode. I, actually, I, th- I, th- I think that the the clone-centric episodes are some of my favorite. I th- just There's a sense, a, a grounded sense of desperation that we have. Like, when, you, like when you're a Jedi, there's so, so rarely a, like a legitimate threat. But when you're just the clones... Even the threat of a battle droid is real. Like they, they can die. There's, there's, there's so much more danger in these ones, and, and I, th- I think they, they get they kind of play with cinematic tropes in a different, in a more unique way than the rest of the series does. Uh, this one's kind of bit, pretty much diehard, where they have to, you know, they have to retake the base and crawling through air ducts and all that fun stuff. This is actually one of, one of my like favorite episodes. Um, like you, I really do love very clone centric episodes. Um, and I love Cody and Rex as characters and I don't care if it doesn't make sense. They show, I, I love how like, you know, just the series knows that we've got to find ways to distinguish between the, like the clones. And so um, just add to like the, the paint on his helmet and his blue to Cody's yellow. Uh, and even like just the, the clone cadets themselves, they find really cool ways of, of making them all feel different uh, so that, you know, like whenever one dies, it actually feels like we lost a character instead of just like just another 
the ex- like the exact same face. It's just another clone. Like it feels like a loss. Um, and the fact that who is it uh, that's killed by the the giant eel thing? Uh, cut up. Like that was really sad uh, because you know watching it chronologically, we've already seen clone cadets, and you know you kind of grow to like those characters and to see how willing the show is to to kill them off like this. It really does. I mean, you know, Cody is gonna make it, but with everyone else, you really don't know their fates, and so they're able to build characters. And unlike a lot of other kids shows, like they will kill them. And so, mm-hmm. whenever you don't have all these Jedi that you that we know survive, there really is a, that sense of danger. Um, yeah, and uh, we you really got to give a lot of props to uh, D. Bradley Baker, who voices all the clones, and the fact like in an episode like this, which is most, which is like mostly centered around these, this group of six clones, he's able to give little inflections to each one of their voices and make them feel like distinct people. And the dialogue scenes they flow nicely. It's just it's. Just a really great performance, and he does this all throughout the series. Where never once do I think, "Oh, this is the same guy I voiced them all." They feel like individual people. Yeah, uh, and so like with that, with all these like these very distinct characters that at this point I I really like. And another thing that this episode does that I like a lot is that it really establishes um, a like an almost tangible sense of like atmosphere and tone, where. We feel like maybe it's it's the lighting and the way it's shot, but it feels like we're really just kind of out in the middle of nowhere, uh, where once things go bad, it, like where you'd extend this to a feature film, like like it would almost feel like this oppressive tone of like, you know, dangerous droids around every corner, and it's this last ditch effort. So the whole like atmosphere and and plot of this episode, I like a lot. And we really get into the mindset of the clones, like they know that they are completely outnumbered. And anything they do will probably get them killed. But, you know, they have a job to do. Their brothers on Kamino are relying on them. So they are going to go and try to get this station back in working order or die. It's just, it's just this, like, really simple, ordinary courage that we get to see um, them display. And I, 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 think I really find that uh, very watchable. And heavy sacrifice. Uh, I don't. Oh, that's such a good scene. And... Uh, I used to go back to the very beginning of the episode. There's a, a cool reference that means a lot more now with Solo, where as, as they're playing the music, the uh, I guess the DJ or whoever says that, this next one goes out to the mud troopers on Mimban, which is the, <laughs> the mud planet where Han meets Chewie. Interesting. Next episode is Downfall of a Droid, directed by Rob Coleman uh, and written by George Christick. And a little mix on this episode. I, <laughs> the opening is amazing. Uh, you know, they're 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 outnumbered by the the separatist fleet, and so what do we do? Well, why don't we stick tanks onto asteroids and turn them into ships? Just because why not? Like I I said that cl- uh, you know tanks climbing a cliff is the coolest thing. I was wrong. T- tanks on asteroids is the coolest thing you're ever gonna see. Yeah, and I mean it makes like it's. I don't feel like it's like contradicting anything we've ever seen. Like it's it's really cool to see these new tactics that we don't see in the movie, but still makes sense. Uh, one of the things this isn't exactly like I don't know how much of a criticism this is, but during like the opening narration, uh, he's talking about all of these losses uh, that the Republic is suffering from. One of the things that I do wish we saw a little bit more was actually see these losses because we get. Although, I mean, 
we get a lot of victories. I, I guess, you know, most of the victories we get in this show do come at, like, very real costs. Um, maybe it just feels like the way this opened up was talking about how, like, we're kind of lose, almost losing the war at this point. And that doesn't really, especially coming off of Rookies, where their entire fleet was driven back, it, it doesn't feel like we're losing it. Um, but that's just kind of a criticism of just like a singular opening narration line. Yeah. And, and it's a weird thing. Like they kind of win the battle, but Anakin is knocked unconscious. And then like they, they the, 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 the way it's told is really weird. Cause he like wakes up in the hospital and they're like, we found you, but we lost our two. Like our two is in the ship with him. That... It, it, it's always like struck me as really odd. Just the way it's edited together. And the, it just feels like they could, like there's no way they could have thought of to, show R2 get lost like there's literally happens off screen but in a way that doesn't make sense with with logistics of the of the spaceship I don't know especially whenever they go back to his ship and it like it kind of turns over and they're like oh, R2 is not there it's like well, well you should know so it feel, almost feels like Anakin would be like wait so you lied to me you didn't look because you if he was there you would have seen I don't know this yeah that whole the whole way it happens is very odd to me like is was he still in his ship when they rescued him and so um, the, the the Jedi tell him, yeah, just forget him. But he obviously he's Anakin. He can't lose people or droids. Um, and but then he he basically says, well, oh, I guess I might have forgot to, forgotten to wipe his memory for the last, you know, five years or whatever. So he has all of our information. So, yeah, we got to go rescue him. OK, which <laughs> is really interesting. Just the, you think about that. That's that's probably why R two D two is the best droid ever, is because every other droid gets their mind wiped. So he he has he has a one up on all of them, because he has all the information ever inside of him. Yeah, uh, one of the things that I liked about the way this episode portrayed like Obi Wan was that he really doesn't care less. Like he couldn't care less about droids and does not exhibit any sort of attachment to them and you almost buy him being like i don't seem to remember owning a droid <laughs> like i wouldn't put it past him to forget r2 completely because then this is like oh it's just a droid you'll get a new one yeah I, I do like that they really highlight that difference between anakin and obi-wan and so r2 actually was picked up by a trandoshan is that how you pronounce it trandoshan i think so yeah trandoshan um scavenger uh named god knocked who is actually voiced by ron perlman whoa how did I not know that? It doesn't sound like him. <laughs> I was going to say that I feel he's got such a distinct voice. It's crazy that you wouldn't hire the guy with such an iconic voice and have him sound nothing like himself. And, and the, the part where this really kind of starts to irritate me is when um, Ahsoka brings in uh, R3 or Goldie um, to be a replacement for R2. And, and like as it turns out, he's a traitor. Um, but... The, he is basically mess everything they order him to do. He messes up, and for some reason they keep taking him along on these sensitive missions that require you know, pre very precise actions with this guy who's basically tried to get them killed for the for the last two episodes. It, it really it just makes them look so stupid with you know with a character that is so obviously either evil or incompetent. And but they keep trusting him, and for some reason Ahsoka keeps sticking up for him despite the fact that he's basically try to get them killed like 17 times yeah and it doesn't do her character well at all because for me it's like oh, i was just starting to kind of like you with that last episode with plo Koon, and now 
I'm reminded why I wasn't a fan of you at first. Like, whole, like, look, now you hurt his feelings. I'm like, oh my goodness, can we just leave this part of the show? This is horrible. Um, and yeah, like, we start off with Anakin, you know, initially like, you know, there's something wrong with this droid. And then like eight times later, he's still, like, his complaint, like, his kind of complaints should change. It's it's no longer like, hey, he's not good. It's like, hey, there's there's something wrong with this droid. Like, I don't know what it is, but I'm I'm not about to, like, put my life in its hands. He's not going in my ship. But it's still, it's just, is he trying to get us killed? And, like, five times later, there's something wrong with uh, R3. Would you get, like, get a hold of your... It's, oh, my goodness. Can we please move on? But, uh, yeah, it's a very annoying part of this episode. And it, I feel like it's just, it keeps coming up throughout. Yeah. One fun little scene is we uh, we see a, a couple IG IG eighty eights in action in uh in the the scavenger ship. Yeah, that's fun. Unfortunately, the show turns out to not be completely above fart jokes. <sighs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> Less said about that, the better. Um, next episode is Duel of the Droids, directed by Rob Coleman and uh, written by Kevin Campbell and Henry Gilroy. Uh, this has um Anakin, Ahsoka, R three, and Rex and the, the the crew going. I think against orders to attack the separatist listening station where they have R2 on, on, um, and this is, this is, it's, it's a fun little episode. Uh, you know, R3 is still annoying. The fact they still keep trusting it makes no sense, but there's some really cool touches like, uh, jumping out of the ship way above them and with it, with the uh, jet troopers kind of trying to, so they can sneak in onto the station. Yeah. I actually like this episode a good bit more than the last, um, especially as it gets towards the end. One of the things that I like is that they are able to make Grievous like scary still in the show while yes. retaining his semi cowardice of Revenge of the Sith. Where when he's chasing Ahsoka, you feel like she, you know, she's got to watch out because this guy has is, he's got the upper hand on her. He's got more experience, and and the whole scene of her hiding it feels like a I don't know, Jurassic Park or something with a raptor where he's just he's this thing looking for and he feels like this force to be reckoned with like especially with our pov being this like this padawan for the moment um yeah she's absolutely no match for him and it's a legitimately scary scene as he's stalking her through this this um kind of warehouse and then once she's in the vent and he's like coming behind her slashing the vent with lightsabers it's it's like a horror scene just uh lastly like the the big thing that stuck out with to me for this episode was that they they are not afraid to be violent, and they're not afraid to show the violence on screen. Like, with Grievous killing uh, Ron Perlman's character, just, like, stabbing him through the back, and we see the saber go through him. And, uh, this show really yeah. is willing to, like, show that. Don't, uh, and it don't makes... try to bargain with Grievous. Exactly. But, uh, but, yeah, you feel... And I love seeing that character who's not affiliated with the separatist but he's just kind of working whatever is going to give him the most like seeing the people not involved in the war interact with the different factions is cool as well to me oh next episode is the best one in the series it's a bombad jedi directed by jesse yay uh, written by kevin rubio henry gilroy and stephen melching this one has padme and jar jar going to rodia I, uh, I have a feeling that really for writers there should just be in bold letters george lucas <laughs> Yeah, um, like there's, there's a couple weird things. Like one is, is trying to establish this relationship with Uncle Anno, um, that like Padme has could like considers this uh, Rodian family, 
except that he literally betrays her to the separatists. Like he betrays her in the beginning. And then, you know, as they slowly kind of, oh, this deal just keeps getting worse and worse till finally he betrays them again. And then we're supposed to be all forgiven. Like he literally betrayed someone who treat, who he, who he viewed as family to, to the enemy. And that we're supposed to kind of all forget that in the end because, oh, well, he changed his mind. I don't know, that, that whole dynamic just feels weird. And then, For me, it, it also, it makes me wonder how that how that works. Like, where did this relationship come from? Because I mean, she was Queen of Naboo at age of 14. Was this... And I feel like Anno, like, if your uncle... Like, if you're going to give someone not your uncle that title, I feel like it would happen at an early age. So mm-hmm. is he, I guess, like a, a fa- like a friend to their royal family when she was really young on Naboo, or... Yeah, it's because they're trying to introduce and establish this relationship at our first time meeting him, and he he completely betrays it. Yeah, we're still supposed to care about it. It's yeah, and just I don't. It just feels like we've seen enough of Padme's life, and it's like, wait, like it. I mean, obviously, we don't have to see every single relationship she has with everybody, but it just feels weird to be introduced to this big family friend, and and then like you said, be expected to be like what? But oh well. And there's a lot of Jar Jar in this, and it's the same problem we talked about with the Phantom Menace. Is that it's, you know, Jar Jar's character is annoying. You know, his voice is annoying. He says dumb things, and he's it's all slapstick humor. But the fact that he messes everything up, like he literally, he's supposed to be going to the ship to 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 place a call off planet to save Padme, and what does he do? He accidentally destroys the ship. <sighs> Like he, all he does is break things and mess things up throughout the episode, and somehow through just sheer dumb luck, it works and he wins. And oh yay! And there's a line at the end. It's like sometimes our most important allies are not the most powerful. And like, well, I, I'm supposed to be talking about Jar Jar, the guy who's literally been messing everything up the entire episode. It just like it, it doesn't make sense from a story perspective, and it's just annoying. This episode is genuinely awful. Um, the one good thing is uh, seeing Padme, you know, you know, again, you're using her wits to escape and, and you know, kind of fighting her way out. That, that's cool. But yeah, everything yeah, she, else. Because, like, this show really makes her into a pretty cool character. Um, but it just, it feels like the writers themselves are aware of just Jar Jar being the absolute worst. Like, with with C-3PO telling her, like, oh, th- our ship was destroyed. She says, battle droids? No. Jar Jar? Jar Jar. Like, everybody's aware that this guy's an idiot. So, oh, yeah. And, I mean, not to just keep treading over the exact same point that I I talked a lot about in The Phantom Menace, but it's I, I hate it when incompetence and stupidity is rewarded. And that's all that this episode is, is him messing up and then being thought all the better for it. Like, oh, look, he came through and saved the day. It's like, no, he. it's not because of him. And when it is, it's just because it's an act. Like, I, it really annoys me to constantly have him ruin everything and then, like, get a pat on the back. Yeah. Um, one cool thing is that, that that the fish creature he befriends is actually a, an original Ralph Macquarie design that was supposed to go in, in at Dagobah. I, I was watching the behind the scenes, and they they said that this episode was kind of a princess, like a, a, an allegory of princess fairy tales. Um like you know, they they lock the princess in the tower. C three PO is like symbolic of the handmaiden. Jar Jar is a, like a court jester who ends up in a knight's armor or 
in this case, um, a Jedi robe, and then in the end, there's a dragon, which I guess is interesting, just kind of from a you know abstract symbolic sense. But I don't think any of it actually works. It and it doesn't really come through, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, next episode is amazing. It's a uh, Cloak of Darkness. This one is uh, directed by Dave Filoni and written by Paul Dini. Oh, um, this nice. one, it, it, I guess, it, it's pretty much a continuation of the the previous episode where. In the end of the previous episode, Newt Gunray was uh, was arrested. In this one, you have Ahsoka and Master Luminara and Dooley taking Newt Gunray to Coruscant, and they are attacked by Ventress. With the 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 the, the Separatist boarding sh- uh, transports are so cool. They'll, they'll basically punch in and then like rip a little hole, and then the droids jump out of. Just like that, that design is really really cool. It feels so practical for the universe too. I always like when we get to see Ahsoka interact with other Jedi Masters, be it in the previous uh, story with Plo Koon, here it's with Luminara. And Luminara is a very interesting character. Um, like, she is a total stick in the mud, but she's so elegant and dignified about it that you don't resent it too much. Yeah. I, I actually really like her character as well. That's one of the things... I mean, the, the show does so many things that I like a lot, but that's that's another... Where it's just we see all these cool designs in the background in the films, and the show is able to give them personalities to where you you're kind of filling in what they're thinking in the films. So I like that they make them different from each other because she feels very different from someone like Master D or Master Coon, uh, um, even though they're all like very noble. She goes about it like in much different ways. Um, and with Ahsoka, I like that we kind of see the similarities between Ahsoka and Anakin with with her being willing to, like, threaten uh, Gunray. But I, I like that if Anakin had threatened him, he, he would have been serious. Luminara is horrified, but as soon as she pulls her away, she's like, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. Like, she's using Anakin's tactics, but she's not as truly dark as he is. Yeah, and I like that because at, at first I was like, wait, this feels incons- like inconsistent because I forget... Who it was that Anakin? It it may have been Ron Perlman's character, but he was threatening someone, um, and she was like, "Whoa, what? You don't got to go that far." It's like she knew he was serious. So whenever she first starts doing this, was like, "Wait a second, She was just mad at him. But then for her, it, it feels like she was kind of observing his tactics and be like, "Okay, well, I'll do this. I'm not gonna mean it, but it seems like maybe this will work." And I just I like the way they interact. Like Luminara, it, it, like she's a. Comp- completely different character from Annika. Like her entire teaching style, the way she interacts with her pupil or with the Padawan is completely different. Like she like she's kind of she's much more cold. Like she 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 treats it like a master Padawan relationship. Like she doesn't try to befriend her. She's like, you know, she's she's the authority figure, you are the Padawan. And she tries to maintain that kind of relationship. And and it's it's it could have been so easy to turn her into an unlikable figure. Like the way she's she is constantly pulling Ahsoka back and and being kind of condescending to her, and but but they somehow make it 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 feel like you know this is a completely valid style of teaching. You know, Anakin has his own way; she has her way, and both you know will, will turn out a good Jedi. And I, I love that they don't make her villain; they don't make her unlikable. They just make her really different, and and that's constantly crossing with Ahsoka's sensibilities, but in a way that just feels interesting rather than annoying. And I love how she's constantly like trying to hold Ahsoka back from doing something stupid, like where she tries to jump down the elevator shaft and she has to pull her back right before an elevator almost kills her. And like she, you can tell she genuinely does care 
but she she doesn't let her she's so kind of dignified she doesn't let herself show it and uh, there's a really cool scene where she leaves she leaves ahsoka behind to go chase down ventress and then uh, captain argus who turns out to be a traitor kind of manipulates ahsoka to go help her and but it actually turns out to where she actually did need to be there and she actually saves luminar's life and i like that you know luminar is self-aware enough that she doesn't she sees that that you know disobeying orders still saved her life, so she doesn't she doesn't feel the need to go chew out um, Ahsoka even though she um, disobeyed her. Yeah, it's you know we see so many times throughout the movies and the series of, I mean it's it's mainly with Anakin and Obi Wan of them kind of playing off the fact that they were eventually like oh no I had it under control and uh, and with kind of the the idea that there's a sense of arrogance around the Jedi and the Jedi Order, it is cool to see a character who's like willing to own up to their mistakes. Um, and another thing I liked, I like the way they fight together with uh, Ventress. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Man, Ventress feels like she, again, she just feels like such a, a great addition to the series and that her laugh as she's like <laughs> fighting that it's just, you definitely feel like there's, there's a mix. Like she's, She's motivated by rage, but at the same time, it feels like there's just a sense of glee as well in, in what she does. Like, she really, really does love her job. Yeah, and just the whole lights, like continuing lightsaber fight through the series is really awesome. Just when, when it's just Luminara and uh, Ventress, um, I just, I love how they can visualize various fighting styles. Like, uh, Luminara's elegance goes into the way she fights. Like every, she's all every swing, she's able to return to like this really elegant resting pose. Like she never loses her cool, even even while she's fighting someone as crazy as Ventress. And then once uh, Ahsoka comes, and then they're fighting in unison side by side. It, it's just, yeah, it, 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 I love how they visualize lightsaber fights in this show. Yeah, and you know, we talked about how they were able to really do a, a cool job. Are a really good job with uh, with fighting in the the Tartakovsky one, especially with Anakin versus Asajj. But it is cool to see like these really well choreographed fights, like in fully realized three D, like so consistently throughout a series. Like, because I mean, I feel like anybody who loves action is just gonna love a good lightsaber fight, and we we get like consistently great ones. Yeah, and then in the end, you know, in true Sith fashion, she uh, kills Argus. Um, pretty much exactly like uh, like Grievous killed uh, uh, the Transition. And I, one thing I noticed here is I I like her musical theme um, that Kevin Kiner has for her. It's like it's like very threatening and creepy, and it fits her character quite well. And this episode is really where I realized, man, I actually really love Ahsoka. Like I started out just completely irritated at her at the beginning of the season just couldn't wait for just didn't want her around but you know here in this episode she has still has all the same flaws and and character imperfections that she had in in the beginning of the season but they're they're played out in much more interesting and compelling ways like you know she still has she's still kind of arrogant and overconfident but they're i think they're play they're given much more balance here with you know actual positive character traits which there were too few of at first all right our next one is a layer of grievous uh this one is directed by uh atsushi takeuchi i'm sorry uh something like that uh written by henry gilroy uh this is another really fun one um this it's 
kind of a loose continuation of the previous uh, stories where Grievous has literally like two arcs in a row abandoned uh, his fleets just as they were crashing in flames and Dooku's getting kind of annoyed. So he basically sets up this trap where Kit Fisto and his, his former pupil Nadar Veb were supposedly uh, pursuing the escaped Gunroy, 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 Gunroy <laughs> to uh, Grievous's lair on Vasek. But actually it was a trap that he, he basically lures the Jedi in, then lure, then sends Grievous back so they could just, you know, so they'll fight it out and to see if, I guess it's kind of a test, um, sort of kind of a veiled threat to Grievous that, you know, if you keep this up, I can have you killed, but also kind of a test to make, to see if Grievous still has what it takes. Um, and so the whole thing is just this game in this labyrinth and cave system where Grievous is, at first he's surprised, but then he's, he turns turns it around on the Jedi and, and is hunting them through the caves and he has all these crazy, like, evil traps and contraptions and giant monsters. Like, it's a, a creature that's pretty much looks like a monitor. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a fun little episode. Uh, really dark. Like, the way... Like, they, when they first try to capture Grievous and they cut off his legs, and then he just goes crazy, and he's like this wild animal, um, killing all the clones. And then and then when he finally faces uh, Nadar... <laughs> yeah, I, 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 this is what, I, what I, you know, I love about Grievous, the fact that, you know... He'll taunt the, the the kid into fighting, but then as soon as he gets him fighting, he pulls out a blaster and shoots him in the gut. Like he has absolutely no honor, but he's gonna win. However, how you know he's gonna do whatever it takes to get an advantage, and he usually wins. Yeah, and I don't think at this point we haven't seen him actually kill a Jedi before now, and so I do like that we actually get to see him, you know, collect these these sabers as we we see in Revenge of the Sith. Um, Another thing I like about this episode a lot is the aesthetic. Like, I think his lair is pretty awesome. And I this is a really cool way to, like, do backstory with no dialogue or anything. But just seeing, like, the statues, uh, I'm assuming either himself. Like, I think that, like, that's him pretty much during the different processes of, mm-hmm. yeah. of you know, as and we hear from his droid, like, he made or Grievous tell it like being adamant to his roots like this was my decision I chose to be this to be like the best version of myself through these you know mechanical additions and stuff and so to hear that and to see that story kind of told through those statues and then to see that he's just got like this huge room full of like spare parts for every piece of him it's just a cool way to kind of build a story around this character yeah, I love like the, the shrine, like the shrines he has set up to his former self, and you see, see, see this warrior slowly becoming more machine than man. And I, I love his his snarky doctor droid, like the only person who can talk back to him without getting destroyed <laughs> because he's, he needs him. I had mixed feelings on the doctor droid. I think he he's fine as a character, but I just didn't like him in this. I didn't like him being in this episode just because of how dark it was and how menacing they're able to make Grievous it just it feels weird to cut between the clones who were just like got done being hunted by Grievous and and uh Kit Fisto and Nadar like who are like fighting for their lives and then it cut back to like this snarky little droid like I get I don't think the droid itself is a problem just maybe him being in this episode didn't really work for me and with Nadar you I I, it feels like he's He's a t- uh, teenager going through that phase, you know. Because you know, with every um, every kid 
as they grow up, you know, they they have the period where they doubt, they start to you know doubt the beliefs they've been raised in. And I'm assuming every Jedi, you know, since all of their life is the Jedi Order, at one point or another, all of them would have to go through a phase where they have to, you know, you know, these Jedi beliefs have to not only be what they're taught to believe, but what they actually believe. And he seems to be kind of stuck in that where he's trying to use power. Just he's trying to overcome everything that happens, everything, every obstacle in front of him with just raw force. And I, I imagine a lot of uh, Padawans die at this stage. Yeah, and just, man, the way he dies too, like you, you talked a little bit about, but again, it's, it feels very morbid to be like, man, I love that this show just shows death. But it's, you know, it really does make it feel like, like a, a true war. And that by the time, like we completely understand and we get to Revenge of the Sith of why everyone is ready for this Clone War to be through just because, you know, the the amount of clones we're consistently losing, the amount of Jedi we're losing, it's the fact that the show shows us that and like doesn't even really filter it. Um, yeah, it's dangerous. You, you make a mistake, you die. Yeah. So next episode is Dooku Captured. It's directed by Jesse Yeh. Uh, this was season one, episode 11. This arc, two episode arc was written by Julie Siege. Uh, this one has Anakin and Obi-Wan uh, trying to capture Dooku where they escape and go on kind of wacky adventures to Vancouver and fight um, uh, Minox. Uh, what the heck are these things called? Gundarks. Gundarks, yes. Big ears. Uh, yeah. yeah. Isn't that what Han says? A, you, a you look, he could rip the arms? You, you look strong enough to pull the ears off a Gundark. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Um, and but then, then Dooku is captured by the greatest character in the Clone Wars, Hondo. Oh, um, and then they go to uh, he takes them to his base on floor and on flying saucers, which I it's just great that the pirates fly like actual flying saucers. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> it looks like the saucer essentially like a 1950s saucer drops off. What to me looked a lot like the USS Enterprise. I'm like, ah, oh yeah, these are some it, very interesting and different designs for Star Wars. Yeah, so um, <laughs> this one opens with you know we're kind of right in the middle of this. Just another one of Anakin and Obi-Wan's harebrained plans to where uh, Anakin got himself captured and then uh, Obi-Wan sneaks on to, to rescue him. And I, I love their banter where Anakin just is not happy at the fact that he's always the one who gets caught in whatever their plans are. He's the one who has to be the bait. And everyone's like, well, yeah, well, I'm the master. And when you're the master, you, uh, you can have someone else get caught. It's like, how can I become a master if I'm always getting caught? Well, at least you're a master at getting caught. It's, it is, like, I mean, we've mentioned this several times at this point, but it just feels like all of the writers have such a good, like, bead on what makes their relationship so much fun to watch. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen them get through, like, all of these ridiculous missions where everything got to, goes according to plan. So to, to drop in mid-mission, like during one in which Anakin's actually gotten himself caught in is kind of fun. And of course, um, it doesn't always work out according to plan and Dooku escapes and they're going on this crazy chase across space and they land on, as I said, Vancor. And, and uh, just another great scene is when um, Obi-Wan's lightsaber's malfunctioning and a bunch of Gundarks come out. <laughs> Anakin's like leading them on this crazy chase around the cave and everyone's just like t- trying to get his lights working. Oh, you're doing fine. It's just so casual there. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. James Arnold Taylor is just great as Obi-Wan. He's just so 
smooth and fun. And Matt Lanter is really making a, a full-fledged character out of Anakin. Oh, yeah, yeah. They have really good chemistry together. And, you know, it, it didn't always, like, you, it was pretty ro- rocky sometimes in the first season. Where the, but you could tell they're, they're getting their, uh, their groove down as it goes on. And uh, back to Hondo. Ah, I just love that we have a jolly space pirate. And he's voiced by the uh, legendary Jim Cummings, who... Let me look up his uh his resume real quick because he's he's been in everything. Yeah, I believe he's the voice for Winnie the Pooh. Um, he he's, he's he did the voice for Scar with the singing voice for Scar. Um, voices Geppetto. Um, he's basically has some some role or another in all of the Disney films, and he's just a, this absolutely legendary vo- voice actor. And you can see why here because this guy is just you know he's a scummy pirate. But he's just so lovable. And the writing for him is just wonderful. Um, obviously, that quote we started out the episode with. And he's just, he, he's just having so much fun. And he's always so polite. And every, everyone's his friend, even if he's betraying and torturing them. Yeah, I love how it, it honestly feels like he doesn't really hold grudges. Oh, yeah, And then if he says he does, he'll probably end up forgetting it later just because he's just such an inherently, like, chummy kind of guy <laughs> yeah um, and I, I like that you know, he he uh, actually is able to pickpocket and get the drop on uh, Grievous not Grievous um, Dooku you know, he, he definitely he is smart he's not an idiot you know, even though he's he kind of plays an idiot he's always thinking ahead and he's not um, you know he, he, he will get the drop on you if he wants but then I also like just how Dooku just doesn't care at all about anything. <laughs> and he's just like, whatever, you've got, you've captured me, whatever, we'll, we'll pay your ransom, let's just get this over with. And he's just so serene, and he's he's always in authority no matter where he is. And uh, yeah, Corey Burton, even, you know, he's he's not Christopher Lee, but he's he does a great job mimicking his authority. I was about to say, even though you can tell it's not the same actor, he's still kind of, it feels like he demands the same kind of presence that, that Christopher Lee would. Um, he, he's definitely the deepest voice uh, there and you still feel that same kind of authority coming from him. Yeah, and so Anakin and Obi-Wan go to uh, verify because uh, uh, Hondo contacts the Republic for the ransom and Anakin and Obi-Wan are sent to verify Dooku's identity and this leads to a really weird thing because like the, in the ending of this episode uh, Hondo tries to drug them but they switch the drinks and you see that like the two guys on either side of them kind of collapse because they drank the drug, the drug drink. But in the next episode, Gungan generally opens with him drugged in prison. And, the, and this isn't is it, like this isn't something where it was changed for release order or anything because these these episodes were aired sequentially. But it, it, obviously, they decided to change the story last minute. But do they think no one would notice? Yeah, it's that throws me off every single time, and and it's annoying because they really don't try to cover anything up, and they they act like the the switching never happened like they don't even the the entire idea of like poison drinks feels like it's coming up for the first time here even though we saw the switch um when everyone says you know mm-hmm. it's clear we must have been poisoned it's like well i feel like you two acknowledge that just now but uh yeah it's, it's really weird watching them back to back yeah so the uh, the next episode is, is a gun get general ju- directed by justin ridge and unfortunately, that does mean there's a gun. <laughs> there's a gun involved, but it's, it's still pretty fun. Uh, you have a uh, 
Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Dooku all tied to get together in the same cell and they're having to work together to uh, escape and they're just constantly ribbing at Dooku. <laughs> yes, Anakin, control your arrogance. The count is working. Yeah, it is weird. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of crazy that you have these three all incredibly powerful Jedi. And I, I understand their lightsabers are gone, but it still feels a little weird to me that these three pirates, or not these three pirates, but this band of pirates would be able to to capture three Jedi of these this caliber who have the you know their force abilities. But they 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 are handcuffed and tied together at the waist. And as far as we know, only Kylo Ren and Darth Vader could block lasers. That's true. But uh, well, but 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 they do manage to almost escape three times. So there is that. It's true. Uh, and I feel like most of the ways they are stopped actually does kind of feel believable. And I love how Hondo's just like, what are you doing? He's like, what are you doing? You're my friend. Why are you doing this? I thought I trusted you. We, we had a deal. He's genuinely betrayed. <laughs> like, he's like, like, you couldn't just wait while we, uh, while we waited for the Republic. Like the way he carries himself is like, I'm not, it's not even a big deal. I'm asking you to wait in a cell for a couple of days and we'll have this all worked out. I guess we won't be friends. <laughs> but yeah, and, um, so yeah, it's just kind of funny antics that happening, and then Jar Jar is sent with Senator Karis uh, to deliver the ransom, but then they're shot down by a rogue group of uh, Hondo's pirates who want to steal the ransom for themselves, and the senator is killed, and Jar Jar must fulfill the mission. Awesome. Um, and actually, I don't mind Jar Jar as much in this episode. Uh, he does still has a couple moments of just stupidity, like when he he's like parses buttons that are making the pilots fall out of their uh, cockpits or uh later on when he um he like destroys all the tanks by accident but he does have a couple good moments i think it's the moment where he um where he uh buries a senator he's like you're a fine rest senator always, always those with good in their hearts are the first to go it's like he actually you know has a, a nice moment of dignity there which is so rare for his character and he even he does do some clever things like where he spots the animals uh, running away from the geysers, and he's able to try, like use that to fight back against to hide. I just like you know things like that. He actually does something. Actually does something. It's not where everything that happens to him is an accident and caused through his own stupidity. So it still happens, but at least they're learning a little bit. Too little, too late. Yeah, and, I, and one interesting uh, Easter egg is that the the uh, Senator Carus's staff is the uh, staff of Ra from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh wow! I didn't know that. So, yeah, I forget. How did? How do they get separate? Oh yeah, because yeah. uh, <laughs> Hondo decides to torture um, uh, Anakin and Obi Wan, and he's he's able to make that even funny. That's what's so crazy about the character is he's he's just so in, like inherently likable and such a fun character that he's able to torture our leads and be like, man, I still like this guy. <laughs> You know, you betray my hospitality, and now you question my honor. <laughs> Maybe it'd be better if you didn't Straight talk at all. <laughs> when when Jar Jar actually knocks the pirates, like, oh, come on, I was just having fun. <laughs> yeah, so um, they get their lightsabers back and take him hostage, and uh, Dooku escapes out the back in a really violent sequence where he um he force chokes one guy and forces him to. To raise his gun and shoot the other pirate which and then, and then snaps his neck and just walks out like a boss he, and again all of that happens on screen yeah. and they they kind of dwell on it like 
it's not just a quick, sh- you know, he doesn't shoot him real quick and then the next guy, like, broken and then he just walks away. It, the other guy has, like, he's given the time to, to see what's going on. He's like, wait, no, no. And then he gets shot. Yeah. And then he chokes him for a little bit and then you hear the snap. It's like, it's very, very visceral in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the ending, how after Dooku escapes, the general like, all right, well, we're, we're down here. See you guys. And Honda's like, wait, wait. What are you doing? Aren't you gonna, you know, punish me after all I did? You like, you know, you don't have anything we want, and we don't hold ven- we don't seek vengeance. Um, and you can tell that he's as genuinely impressed, uh, you know, by this this code, and he 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 allows them to go. Although I do love uh, everyone's party lines, like, but you know, Dooku doesn't share our sense of honor, and he knows where you live. See ya. It feels. Almost kind of like Neil the Batman begins. He's like, I don't, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm also not going to save you. All right, see you later. And just kind of <laughs> leaves him there for the separatists. Yeah, but, but Hondo can survive. Hondo can do anything. And next episode is Jedi Crash. It's directed by Rob Coleman and written by uh, George Lucas's daughter, Katie Lucas, who actually later on in the series starts write, writing a lot more. And in this one, you have Anakin and Ahsoka are going to rescue Ayla Sakura, who's uh, kind of overwhelmed by Separatist ships. And this is really cool because it's a, a space battle, or actually not a space battle, but a, a, a ship battle that is inside the atmosphere. So it happens in broad daylight. Rather, you know, other, you know it always looks like night because they're in space. Here, it just gives an entirely different look and aspect to the space battle. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's. I think that maybe the only time we ever see... Um any sort of battle like that and in the in the battlefront 2 campaign we we get a the final mission like that which is really cool but hmm. i think at this point this is the only time we've ever really seen like star destroyers and these huge ships go at it in daylight yeah and this whole sequence is really fun because it, you know, it opens in the middle of, the, of a losing battle and they're coming out of a hyperspace and they have to rush into um to rest to you know on a transport to rescue off her ship as their ship's exploding and then they escape and uh, as they're escaping, um, the ship ship starts to explode, and Anakin throws them all onto the transport and ho- tries to hold it back, but he's blown up against the wall and re- really violently. Um, and so he's injured, and they're trying. They have to get their ship to dock with Yularen's uh, battleship, and on, and I don't know their hyperdrive is activated while they're attached to the ship, and they got to pull off, and then they're going to the hyperspace, and then <laughs> they're heading into a star, and and uh, Ahsoka has to. You know, I think did she cross the vents or something? But it's just this like really long, like fifteen minute sequence that just like keeps going and going and going until finally they crash land in a really spectacular crash on uh, what is the planet called? Um, Meridian? Meridian? I don't know. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, but it's just this the whole open I think is pretty spectacular. Um, just the way, the way visuals and just how how they're able to keep the intensity up. Yeah, just about that sequence. Uh... <laughs> Just something I've, I've felt watching that the the entire idea of like going into light speed and not able to stop it like and not like barely being able to try to make any sort of course correction that's such a terrifying idea like to sit there and watch you know the stars begin to blur you know like well this is happening now uh, yeah that whole scene is really cool so yeah they they land and the ship explodes and Anakin is uh, very badly injured by the accident and. Um, this is, you know, we've been talking about uh, seeing another, we get another interesting uh, Padawan master dynamic uh, with Ahsoka kind of slipping back into her more annoying, selfish ways where she, she doesn't, she refuses to help. She wants to, she only wants to be there for Anakin, even though 
other people's lives are in danger or in the long run, maybe she has to do something that, that actually save Anakin's life, but she does she's really being very uncooperative and you have Ayla Sakura, you know, having to step in and, you know, knock some sense into her. Yeah, that you know, I feel like we're gonna bring this up every time we introduce a new master, but the show does a really good job at just making every single master feel unique with their own personality. Uh, you know, I think we've already mentioned that on this episode, but it really does change the way you see the prequels, all of these background characters who got like 30 seconds of screen time. Mm-hmm. And so they go off to find uh, help and they meet uh, a, a colony of Lerman who are basically uh, uh, pacifist, pacifist Irish Amish lemurs, which is just a weird something. I don't think I'll ever get used to seeing it. Yeah, and they're the leader at Tiwatka uh, basically is kind of annoyed at them for just being there. He, you know, they, they've started this colony to try and escape uh, the war, and now the war has found them. But you know, he still offers them help and sends his son out to heal uh, to heal uh, Anakin. So, and uh, they deal with more with this uh, later on. But there is an interesting dynamic of you know where he calls out the Jedi on their claim of being peacekeepers, despite the fact you know they, they are the leaders in this war. Um, he, I mean, he basically runs through kind of the usual cliched pacifist talking points. It um, doesn't really go too deeply into it, but I think it's an interesting wrinkle to throw into the series. Yeah, I think it's a cool idea, and I think it's one that's explored much better later on. Um, but I think one of my one of my problems that's both with the way it's dealt with here and even later on is that this is a cool idea, and it's one that I don't think can't belong in Star Wars, but it's one that I think means a lot less within the Clone War era because they're just fighting droids. And so whenever you have this idea, he's like, oh, we're not going to do it with, at the cost of killing things. Like, well, it's, it is just an army of droids. And so like, as he, as he rebukes them for defending themselves against these created machines, I, I just don't feel like the idea carries as much weight here within this, the, the context of this war. Huh, I'd, I'd never thought about it that way. Thanks for ruining it, James. <laughs> That's, ne- that That's what the- I'm here for. <laughs> that leads to the next episode, Defenders of the Peace, directed by Stuart Lee and written by Bill Canterbury. This one, uh, Nemodian Lock Dodd lands on the planet to test his new defoliator weapon on the Lerman colony. Uh, and despite the, uh, his protests, the Jedi have to rally together to f- defend the village. Um, and th- again, this is... Like I love the idea of you know what 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 do you do when you're a defender of the peace and a village uh, and, and people are threatened and you you feel the need to protect them except they don't want protection they, to them to their moral sensibilities um, you know subjugation is more is preferable to violence uh, you know what. What response? What, what 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 is your responsibility in that context? You know, normally people want to be freed. And, you know, how what, how do you uh, how do you act there? And obviously they choose to defend them. And I think that that's kind of the problem with this arc is that it t- it takes the easy way out to where in this episode instead of uh, you know subjecting uh, subjugating them and enslaving them, the separatists are only there to kill them. They want to kill this village. They're going to kill everybody in it. And so obviously there's no option. And it, 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 the, the Jedi's hands are forced. But I think a far more interesting way to deal with this question would have been if the Separatists were simply there to enslave them or, sub, or you know, just rule over them to where they could, like where peace was an option. Like the way the, 
the, this episode frames the question, peace is absolutely impossible, and the uh, Lerman leader is just an idiot. But I think it would have been far more fascinating if they, if the, the Separatists were only there to rule, and the, he told the Jedi not to help, and the Jedi choose to free them anyway, and now war is at this planet. They had an option for, you know, for peace and slavery, but now they have freedom, but war has come to them, and now this is going to be one more war zone. And so they've just des- they've destroyed this colony's peace, and, and you know they have to live with that. I think that would have been a far more interesting story than simply having someone there to kill them. And of course, they're going to defend them. It it it, do- it, it feels like they're, they're really taking the easy way out on what could be a really interesting moral question. Yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from there. Um, I think there is still an interesting way to do it, where it is fight or die. And I think you could have done something, I guess, a little bit more deep with that idea, but. Uh, the way they took it, it does feel it, it does it feels like an idea bigger than what could have been handled just in this two episode arc. Um, and I mean, again, this is Star Wars, and they know that we're going to be rooting for like action. We're here for action, and the action is cool. Oh yeah, the act the action's really cool, and so it makes sense to be here for the action. But so to, to bring up this idea. It feels like they tried to have their cake and eat it too, where, you know, the other Lerman, who are pretty much just lemurs, they do decide to fight back, essentially, like, and help in the defense. Um, and then at, at the end, you know, after we've been like, okay, no, we are going to fight there, he, the, the leader pretty much just says, uh, perhaps it was the right thing to do, but at what cost? And it ends, and we're like, ah, that feels cheap. It doesn't feel like you explored that idea enough to to end it on that line where it's like what do you at what cost what do you mean at what cost like they're off your planet only droids were harmed and you're still not entangled in this war it just it feels like that statement and really the entire episode was meant to have more impact than it, it did for me yeah i, I kind of wish they ended it with the, the the specter of war now hanging over this once you know peaceful planet and now the war has come to them, and they have to live with that. Now that would have been, I think, that would have been a good note to end on. I would have made that, that line so much more haunting. Yeah, uh, we do have to talk about the fact that it's George Takei <laughs> voicing the uh, Moody in here. Yeah. <laughs> also, just a random note. I I should have written down the actual line, but there's there's some line where the the chief of the Lerman says something like a. Uh, we uh we end, we'll defend what we love here, but we or we not we do not overcome evil by destroying it. And all I can think of is you know Rose Tico is just audibly cheering somewhere. I guess Ryan Johnson is a Clone Wars fan. He did his homework, maybe just on the wrong episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, next episode is Trespass, directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell and also written by Katie Lucas. In this one, we have Anakin and Obi Wan going to a remote planet. Uh, the remote planet. Or Erto Plutonia to investigate a missing clone outpost. And since the planet is in a Pantoran space, they're accompanied by the Pantoran Senator Chuchi and Chairman Chicho. And, and they, they discover that the race, uh, you know, primitive race, uh, basically the, uh, the Yeti-like creature in, uh, that's in the uh, cantina in A New Hope. Um, so th- this race has kind of risen up and taken out both the clone and separatist outposts on the planet. And they have to figure out, you know, how to deal with this this new group, hopefully without starting a war. Only problem is, uh, Chairman Chicho really, really wants war. Um, this is one of my favorite episodes of across the entire season, possibly my favorite of this of this of this season. 
Um, it's like they, they fit the entirety of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes into one 20 minute animated ep- uh, episode. Yeah, th- this one really, it, it definitely is my favorite of this season. Um, and it's actually kind of, even though, you know, the, as a whole, the seasons get much better. I, this episode remains as one of my favorite across the entire series. Um, one of the things that just strikes me every time I watch it is how visually good this looks. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I guess it's just the atmosphere, but the aesthetic here is really great. The wind effects, the snow effects, the, the color palette here with the, the blues and the whites. Um, and just even things like the, the snow jackets that Anakin and Obi-Wan wear, everything just looks so smooth and clean here. And the sense of the sense of speed when they're on the speeders or riding those cat lion beasts. Oh yeah. The action is really great here. I love the the, the the amount of complexity and layers they are able to layer onto this in a 22-minute episode where you have the Pantoran is basically, I mean, he's he's really cliched. He's basically just this evil imperialist colonialist who wants to, who basically, this planet is controlled by Pantora because they believe it's uninhabited. However, if they discover a sentient uh, species on the planet who is indeed the true natives, then very likely the Senate will rule in their favor and give them authority over the planet. So if he is to maintain uh, Pantora's authority, uh, you know, dominance over this planet, he has to essentially act quickly enough to wipe out this species, wipe out the species, or at least subjugate them before the Senate can become involved. And you have the Jedi there who, if this was a separatist threat, they could intervene. However, this is not a separatist threat. This is an internal matter in what is currently, you know, sovereign Pantoran space. So they can't interfere. You know, they're trying to broker a treaty. However, the, the chairman wants war, so they can't. They can't actively act to stop him. And the clones are there as bodyguards to um, to uh, the chairman. So while he can't order them to attack, if he puts himself in danger, they have to re- to save him. And it's just this whole. And also, you have a uh, uh, senator Ch- uh, Chuchi in there who is a character I really like even though she's only I think she's only in two episodes in the entire series but I always, she always sticks out to me she doesn't want the war but she's kind of she starts out you know a very young kind of timid uh, junior senator and you know she slowly over the episode has to learn to you know stand up for herself and you know become a leader in her own right despite you know his really overbearing and cruel personality it's just a lot of stuff going on and I think it's really well handled yeah and I don't feel like you know, I mean, even going back to the episode just before, you feel like that was too big of an idea to cover, and they had two episodes to do that. But this, you know, the ideas here are just as, you know, like, there's there's a lot of complex issues going on. There's only one episode, but I don't feel like the story was shortchanged at all. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, from start to finish, I got a, com- a, a complete start to finish story uh, with really strong characters. Um one thing that I want to compliment on this episode is I think the voice acting is really great here. Um, both voice actors playing uh, Senator Chuchi and um, Chairman Chicho, I think they're both really, really good. Chuchi is voiced by Jennifer Hale, who voiced Ayla Sakura in the previous episode. I knew she sounded familiar. I had a feeling that's who it was. Uh, but she does a great job at you know, kind of differentiating her voice from uh, Ayla's here. Uh, and like you, she's always a character that sticks out to me. And I like the way they kind of have her mature over the over the episode where, you know, towards the end, she's still saying, you know, I was hoping that you could do that, Obi-Wan. And, you know, he says, I, I'm, not, I'm not in a position to be able to do that. You know, this is something that you're going to have to do. Um, and so it's, 
it's this young, semi-naive, but, you know, very morally upright person who's coming into their own in this kind of, like, world of politics while remaining, like, keeping her integrity intact and maturing into an actual, you know, senator. And so, this manages to kind of tackle all of these like political machinations going on of him trying to wipe them out before the Senate can get involved while still giving her like a, a fairly solid arc all in 20 minutes. And uh, even just beyond, you know, how, how deep it is, it manages to be for such a short episode. There's also, a, and we already talked a little bit about this, but it still manages to just look cool and be really fun. Uh, one of the things that I like is the, uh, the snow clone trooper suit is, very reminiscent of uh, of the snowtroopers in Empire Strikes Back, um, and the action here. That that scene where you know Rex and crew are going after these natives. It's it is sad to watch because they are just defending their homeland, and Rex is pretty much just having to follow the orders he's given. And it's this may be the one moment throughout the entire series where I'm kind of rooting against Rex. Uh, not hoping anything bad happens, but it's just, you know, it's it's just weird. It's it's crazy, but really cool that in this children's cartoon show based on Star Wars, we're having a fight that looks awesome, and yet I'm still kind of torn on what's going on. I'm like, man, this is, there's a lot of stuff going on here beyond just a really cool snow speeder battle. Yeah, it's so hard to watch because, like, you know and love Rex, and he's he's almost always on the losing side of the battle, and so you're kind of cheering for him, but however you know that his side is the aggressors, and it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to watch. It, it's really well fit shot, like there's a great sense of speed, and it feels dangerous, like with the spears whizzing through the air and sticking into people. Like it, it feels really dangerous and impactful. I think it's some of the best action in the first season. And they're using like great, uh, you know, uh, Old West visual cues you know we have the circling the wagons and the, them circling around their horses and stuff like that so yeah it's just a really solid little episode oh and uh, another really fun fact is that uh when george lucas and um and katie lucas had their cameos in revenge of the sith they played pantorans so it is, it is funny that when uh, katie lucas is writing the clone wars the episode she writes is about that race I always forget that that's who they were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so next episode is the Blue Shadow Virus, <laughs> by, uh, directed by Giancarlo Volpe um, and written by Craig Titley. Uh, <laughs> this one, it, it's stupid but fun, is what I would say. <laughs> um, you have a, a secret separatist lab on Naboo. Why is it on Naboo? That makes no sense, but whatever. Uh, it's led by the nefarious Dr. Nuvo Vindi. Um, who is attempting to resurrect the ancient and dreaded blue shadow virus. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, Padme and Jar Jar go to investigate our capture, then Anakin, Ahsoka, and Obi-Wan have to go rescue her. Most of my problems with this center around the character of uh, Dr. Vindy. He's like, in every cliched German scientist you can <laughs> think of, injected with all kinds of steroids, and then... <laughs> unleashed on the galaxy it's so he's so ridiculous but he's almost like it's kind of to the point where it's like so bad it's good he's just he's he's fun but you're just rolling your eyes at the same time yeah i mean he's ridiculous and he kind of sticks out in star wars but 
I love how unashamedly, like, they crank up all of the cliches. Like, it doesn't feel like bad writing and that, like, they don't even realize they're doing it. They feel very aware of, like, what kind of character this is, and they're just having fun writing him. So, uh, my problems don't, or, like, my problems with this episode, or this arc in general, don't really center around him too much, just because, as over the top as it is, I just find myself having a lot of fun with the character. And you, and then of course you still have Jar Jar. Why? This was like four appearances from Jar Jar in this season. Ugh. Yeah, honestly, sometimes this feels this episode to me maybe like just Jar Jar at his worst, where he, just the destroying the droid and bouncing. Oh man, it's just again, why send him anywhere? Although the image of him in a hazmat suit is kind of hilarious with his eyes stalked, like bent down by his nose. I wish she was poisoned. <laughs> uh, yeah. But one thing that I will say positively about being back here is, you know, my problem with Naboo was never uh, the, the visuals. Uh, so it was really cool being back to a, a planet that we've only got to see in one movie. Um, or not one movie, two movies, I guess. Um, but I just, I, I really do like the architecture and, and feel of Naboo. And to see, like, the continuity with Captain Typho being back. Uh, and then it's the same hangar they're in that they they escaped yeah. in and Phantom Menace. And so you see those awesome, sleek uh, starfighters in, in the hangar. So visually, it's cool to be back to a place that's familiar. Yeah, and we get a good bit of development with Anakin to where, again, you know, he's choosing the people over the mission. And he, he, he almost lets Vindy escape to save uh, Padme and Ahsoka. Yeah, I think just like the three point insertion into the base is cool. There's some fun action. Yeah, it's, it's not terrible. It's just every time it's just Jar Jar's there and kind of brings the whole episode down. Make sure to undermine anything good going on dramatically. And a fun fact is that uh, Vindy is voiced by Michael York, who is really weirdly the stepfather of prequels producer Rick McCallum. Oh wow, that is weird. Uh, and uh, this episode is where um, Ahmed Best uh, decided not to return to the series. So Jar Jar Binks was replaced. That uh, was a voice instead by BJ Hughes uh, going forward from here. Uh, and honestly, I <laughs> even though I mean, I've, all, I've always disliked Jar Jar. I still like continuity. And this voice actor somehow sounds even worse. Like he he's not really able to capture like the very high pitch thing. So he's constantly like, like, and he just goes down. It sounds so odd. Yeah. I I do respect uh, best, you know, for being game enough to come back and do this after all the hate he received. I mean, as far as what his, the performance he gave, I feel like it's everything Lucas really wanted. So I can't fault the actor at all. Our next episode, mystery of a thousand moons uh, directed by Jesse. Yeh, um, and written by Brian Larson. This one, a droid, took the one hit and hit one of the bombs and it exploded and the virus is released within inside the facility with um ahsoka padme and jar jar still inside and anakin everyone on the outside and you have then they're all infected except for up <laughs> and this is another really annoying like probably my why my least favorite jar jar moment is where he is the one who cracks padme's helmet to where she is also infected it's just like at that point, just just, just die, you stupid creature. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's moved beyond just like fun background antics where he's he's actively causing the problems that we're having to deal with. Mm-hmm. However, I, and I, I actually I, this episode is really mixed for me, but I do love the aspect of, you know, 
they are they're trapped inside this base. They're infected. They have they're on a ticking clock. They will die, but they have to finish their job. There are there are still like a half dozen droids kind of running around this base trying to cut their way out, which will release the virus onto all of Naboo. And so they they have to you know as they are sick and dying, go and hunt down these droids one by one and kill them all to save them, to you know save the rest of the world. And it's just. A, just it's just the thought of that you know this is going out with this you know quiet courage and dignity you you, you may be dying but you have a job to do it. you you got to do this thing for everyone else and and the visuals is just the way they visualize the sickness spreading is legitimately hard to watch just they look sick and dying and you've come to care about these characters especially Ahsoka by now and seeing her just slowly get weaker and weaker and just the discoloration in her face and she's getting thin like really wan and yeah, it's, it's it's hard to watch, man. Yeah, I mean, I think that the voice actors are doing a really good job. It, it it's not just that kind of cartoonish, like <clears throat> like it it sounds and mixed with the visuals. It just it feel, it really does feel like they're dying. Um, you know, I like Padme okay as a character, but what what I realized uh, for me personally is whenever Anakin's on the comms talking with them and he's seeing their uh, their hologram. This is where I realized I actually did start to, for me, like care about Ahsoka as a character now, um, because it was his dialogue with her that ended up being like affecting me more, and I, I realized I was much more invested in in their relationship. So that like when the episode ended, and you know he they're they're wheeling her out, and he's talking with her, the the dynamic they had there, where he genuinely seems like prideful especially after uh padme's words like he seems proud of of what his padawan is growing into be and i i think this is really the turning point for me uh where i really start to like ahsoka as a character they just had to almost kill her <laughs> yep that's all yeah and the other half of this episode involves anakin and obi-wan traveling to iego to find uh Rixa root which contains the only known cure for the virus and so the other half of this episode it feel literally feels like something that was written to be its own episode and like last minute it was kind of combined with this one because it's so completely out there like they have to travel to this planet to find this one route and while they're there there's this um a, you know cavern full of living vines and then the planet is controlled by this vengeful god who tries to destroy any ship that leaves like it's like okay that's an interesting idea <laughs> why is it in this arc with you know this this mis this evil virus that's, that's killing your friend? It's it's really odd. It feels you know like you said, were it its own arc, it could be interesting. But here, it just feels really contrived. Like we need to keep Anakin and Obi Wan separated, and so it just feels like artificial padding instead of anything that would naturally have come up. Yeah, like what an out there idea to come up with in the first place in in an episode arc that's. It's already about like this. We've already got this crazy German scientist and like galactic uh, plague potential. Like, there's already a lot going on. So to sort of focus in on this out of the blue just feels very jarring. Yeah, you have this kid who's reprogrammed and has his own army of like repurposed battle droids. This could have been a fun episode, and yet you know the notion that this planet has been kind of imprisoned for so long to where any ship ships can fly in by any ship that tries to leave is destroyed by this energy field and and it, it, the escape just feels too easy like they, they all they do is you know, send out a couple of droids and they blow it up and they fly out like it it it, it doesn't feel like a complete conflict on its own <laughs> it is interesting though this is um 
You know the line, you and Angel, the most beautiful creatures in the universe, live on the moons of Iego, I think. And this is where they go to, and we actually see an angel. Yeah, I did. I, I thought that was really cool that we find out that he's actually referring to his species as opposed to... Because that line was actually kind of picked apart at first. They're like, wait, what is, what is Anakin talking about angels for? <laughs> and then they kind of like fix up the, uh, the dialogue there to prove like, no, no, this is really a, a Star Wars character. Next arc is uh, the Ryloth arc. The, fr- and the first episode is Storm Over Ryloth, directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell and written by George Christick. And we're this one, we are back at Ryloth, and the Republic is trying to invade, basically invade the planet. And you have Anakin um, and Ahsoka are with are on a forward attack, trying to break the blockade before the, the main fleet arrives. And th- here we have an interesting thing where Ahsoka is leading a bomber squadron, but then the uh, more reinforcements arrive and kind of trap trapping the fleet, and she's ordered to leave, but she wants to complete her mission. I think. This would have, is what would naturally happen if you put you know put a teenager in command of troops and put her under the most you know, arrogant, reckless guy in the galaxy. Like this does feel like a legitimate thing that would eventually happen. But you, you know this is war and mistakes of consequences, and a lot of her squadron is destroyed, and Yularen's injured, and I think two of the ships are destroyed. And you you, you have you realize oh man you know, they're not playing like so so often they're you know they're having fun while they're fighting because they're fighting droids and it's easy, but. You do see the consequences of their actions that can that can happen at any moment. Yeah, uh, one of the things that I that stuck stuck out to me uh, watching it here is I, I think this show kind of looks best in space, especially in the first season. And so, in that initial mission of her flying out there, um, that opening shot of the Federation ship is pretty crazy detailed. Um, and I'm not, what what is it that the clones flew those very weirdly winged ships? Yeah, it, it seems like a variation on the on the the shuttles, not the shuttles, the landing craft. Yeah, that's what it looked like. But it's like it's very thin. They're they're really cool. But one of the things that I loved is the sound design in this episode is pretty amazing. Like it already looks really cool, but whenever they're like flying by the camera, you really feel the weight. So yeah, I, th- I think by being a very space-centric episode, uh, this episode ended up looking and sounding great. And I, I do like that Ahsoka doesn't try to justify herself. You know, she is legitimately ashamed for her actions when she realized the cost. And she's like, you know what? And you have you know a bit of how she was in um, Jedi Crash, where she, now, uh, she allows guilt to kind of paralyze her. It's kind of reckless, but hey, Anakin's reckless the way... His his method for getting her out of this funk is to basically make make her get herself out of it. All right, I'm gonna go on this harebrained plan to lead this this ship into the uh, you know as like a, like a fire ship into the enemy uh, flagship. You gotta come save me, and you're gonna figure out how. See ya. Which I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> but it feels in line with him. Yeah, uh, and I, I do like I love the tactic they figure out where you know they. After he's taken out the flagship, with, with you know the, the the idea of a fire ship, which is, you know sending in a ship and crashing into the enemy uh, ship, usually loaded with explosives, that is an actual historical tactic. So that's pretty cool. And then the thing where she comes in, kind of belly up, and and so the all the uh, the the droid the droid ships kind of come in to attack, and then the fighters come around on each side and flank them. It's just, uh, it, it obviously wouldn't work and it's ridiculous, but it looks really cool. Yeah, and I feel like it's just believable enough here 
like for us as an audience watching it visually it works enough for us to like at least for me personally be able to buy it in this universe mm-hmm. um just about ah- ahsoka and the way they they handle this i love that they took the risk of really allowing her to mess up in a big way because i feel like um it's kind of a bold move to do whenever you're introducing this new character and we're still in the first scene uh or we're still in the first season so to have her be so reckless and mess up so bad and like allow the show to stop and and talk about that um and get the audience to kind of get annoyed with her intentionally uh, but i do love the way that they the show has her handle it where it, she doesn't do the the kind of annoying like try to justify herself and try to argue back and be like, oh, well, just give me another chance. Cause that would have been really annoying to me and would have really hurt my ability to, to care about the character. But the fact that they just let her stew in this and it, it almost, it does the opposite of what it, most shows and movies would have where like, they're just fighting for that extra shot where she kind of just, she would much rather be given orders at this point. She doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, she says very explicitly, like I, I can't have that on me. Um, before you know she's always following Anakin on these harebrained schemes that always end up working out with him and so any sort of losses kind of fall on him whenever they do happen and for her like this is the very first time that she has a very clear like these lives lost were on me mm-hmm. so to see her handle it in this way instead of what we normally would see I thought was pretty ref- refreshing and handled in a kind of mature way so next episode is Innocence of Ryloth, directed by Justin Ridge, uh, written by Randy Stradley, Henry Gilroy, and Scott Murphy. Um, in this one, Obi-Wan is leading an advanced strike force to take out anti-aircraft cannons that are, that are keeping the rest of the evasion fleet from landing. And they have to go through this Twilight village. And, I li- and I, this is what I really love, is that they, they, they reckon with the fact that we are going through civilian areas and we, we're here to liberate these people. So maybe we shouldn't destroy the, all their homes. And so they kind of have to limit the way they fight to, you know, to just blasters and joy poppers, as they call them. And you know, at first, the clones are annoyed. And then uh, I really like that, that first scene as they're coming in and landing. It, it really feels like the D-Day gliders coming in and then they're fighting through woods. And you see, like, it, it's really playing up that that fighting in france the days after d-day where they're they have to go through these areas and the hedgerows and there's a lot of like pillboxes with um machine gunners and they're, they're really playing out that notion and uh I, I just like how it's all visualized and the way the action is shot as i say visually this episode is really cool looking um and one of the things that i meant to mention on on several uh episodes before was a uh, one of one of the things I really like seeing here is when we actually visit like the home planets of all of these different races and all the art designers are really able to create different environments and different cultural aesthetics for these races and and here it looks really cool. It almost looks like like a Sparta or something with this uh, <laughs> there's some three hundred vibes a couple of times. But like in the background you see this very buff uh, statue of this Twilight warrior and it almost looks like he's walking out of Frank Miller's pages in 300 and I can only assume you know were the statue in color would be very bronze um, but but yeah to, to see the way they actually visualize the uh, the planet was really cool um, and then that first thing that you mentioned again that's why this show it, it's something that the show does and it just goes so far for me where it, it really does feel sometimes like a real war the way you know 
that brief, like that initial mis- mission briefing going like, you know, we, we can't fight the way we normally would. We're having to do this. It feels like this show stops to say things that it really didn't have to be. I mean, they could just show up and just have, I mean, there's Star Wars. They could show up and just throw grenades and blasters and everything all over the place. And we just clap our hands because we're getting cool Star Wars action. But they really do take the time to like make it feel like this is a, a real war being waged. Yeah, and they have to fight humanely against a completely inhumane enemy. You know, to where the uh, the, the tactical droid in charge ha- literally has all the civilians you know chained up in front of the uh, the cannon, so they can't be bombed and you know you know hiding behind the human shields, and they have to figure out how to uh, get in there. Um, and then they have a uh, the there's two uh, another subplot is where two uh, clones Waxer and Boyles, I believe who are sent out on a scouting mission and they run out, they run into a child, a Twi'lek child uh, named Numa. And this is where it could have really gone downhill, you know, introducing a cute child in, into an uh, animated show about war. But I think they are able to, to handle it in a way that, that genuinely feels sweet. Like you're dealing with clones who probably have never actually interacted with a child before, other than maybe each other. But, you know, they, they have really no clue what they're doing and they, one of them kind of wants to help, one of them just wants to go on. And, they kind of go through a couple of adventures with her, and, and but but you know by the end when they, they're attached to her and she calls them brother, it's it's legitimately sweet. Yeah, I, I actually like this episode a whole lot, and and that's one. I mean, beyond just visually it looking really cool, and and then speak of the the droid who's using them as hostages. I, I really like him as a villain for this episode. He just feels so cold and calculating, and obviously because he's a droid, like just so morally like. There's there's no sense of guidelines and he's completely unflinching. So I, I thought he was a cool villain. <laughs> and, and then when all the Twi'leks rise up and tear him to pieces, like does not compute, does not compute. <laughs> so satisfying. Uh, but one of the things that really makes this episode stick out in a big way for me is Waxer and Boyle's uh, um, little subplot going on here. Like he's like, Kit, man, that's so... You're, you're really asking for trouble whenever you create like... All, what's almost like an escort mission with with kids, but here I I do think it worked. One because she she's never annoying. Um, she's actually kind of an adorable character, and, but you really feel for her. Like this child separated from her parents, and they use her to to again differentiate between all these different clones. Like as far as the movie's concerned, they might as well be all the same person. But here we really do get to see the different personalities and see the the different ways these clones would handle her. And again, just over 22 minutes, I think they, they're they able to foster this sweet relationship with her to where the name reveal that uh, Mara means brother, like, wow, that was that was actually pretty sweet. Like, I I really do like this episode a lot uh, because, of, because of that. And we still end up getting some really cool moments with Obi-Wan as well. Yeah, and you have, to like earlier on, the droids, the, the clones were grumbling about the fact that they have to, uh, you know, adapt their fighting style to the fact that they're moving to civilian areas. And here with the Waxer and Boyle, they're forced to look at what they're actually fighting for. You know, they're born and bred as warriors and it could so easily to them just simply become a war they have to fight. But here they're actually forced to see what it, what they're actually, what they're actually here for. And so next episode is uh, Liberty on Ryloth directed by Rob Coleman and written by Henry Gilroy. This one uh, centers around Mace Windu leading uh, the Republic Army to take out the last objective, which is the capital city of Lasu, which is under the control of uh, Wat Tambor, who he refuses to evacuate the city before he can steal all the uh, Twi'lek treasure. 
And I love this opening. Like, you know, again, with all these awesome historical references, it's like, uh, it's like the tanks are crossing a mountain and it's like a Hannibal with his elephants uh, crossing the Alps. And they're, they're attacked. There's this really cool uh, shot where uh, one of the tanks is crippled. Basically, we would do runs up and just lays his hand on the glass and shatters oh, it so to pull cool. the pilot out. And then just force lift the thing off the path, clearing it. And then they jump on these like super fast chick- like chicken walker prototypes and just right, race down the enemy and kill them all. Just, you know, he... Mace, when Mace Windu gets into action, I, I like that they show here, like, because sometimes he's such a hard person that it almost feels like you think he almost is almost cruel, but they give him a chance here to act, you know, they show that he actually does care about his men and he'll, and he'll save their lives if he can. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I did like about this again is it, it's weird, you know, to have someone as big as Samuel L. Jackson, although I guess at the time of Phantom Menace, he wasn't. I mean, he was pretty big coming off of Pulp Fiction, but he still he's, he didn't have the reputation he has now. But still, he he was never given a whole lot to do across the prequels, and so I think he had a really good scowl. Oh yeah, well, I mean, he's always great at that. Um, but I, I like being able to be with him on the front lines of missions like this, and you know, his episode is a highlight for a lot of people in the Tartakovsky one, but. And I, I really prefer what we see here. To me, just the force breaking the window to me is cooler than anything we saw. That, like, it just <laughs> that. And then his the, cro- the crossing the bridge scene is really cool and pulling out the sound completely as he, as he jumps from all the debris. And what I love is that it's, I mean, it's consistent with what we know they can do in the movies. And there's, it still looks original and cool here. Uh, yeah, that that scene is just really cool, and seeing him, like I said, on the front line with all of these clones, and actually see him be this cool tactician and and strong leader on the field, it it does add, a, a, I think, a bit more of a layer to the character. And um, and the the other side of this episode is where he's trying to win the support of the lo- of, of Champ Sindula, the local resistance leader we saw in, in uh, back on uh, supply lines. And I think this is like just another really interesting aspect of war they're exploring to where. He's he's uh, basically a resistance fighter, and he's afraid that as soon as the separatists are gone, uh, his political rival, um, Orn Frita, who's that really fat blue guy from Rentesis, who I never even realized was a Twi'lek before because he's so <laughs> huge. Um, yeah, he, he's the senator, but he's basically he's you know he's the leader of I guess the the Free Ryloth government. But Champsandula doesn't recognize him, and you know they're they're probably fighting a war before the separatists land, and now he doesn't want to help the Republic because he's afraid that as soon as they landed, they're going to enforce uh, Orn Free's rule on the planet instead. You have just this 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 notion that you know not everyone, even if you're fighting this, both fighting the separatists, you might not actually be on the same side. Yeah, I love the line. You're like, how long will it be before I'm fighting you? Yeah. And, and that, has, that that happens all throughout history, you know. <laughs> not not to get political, but you know, where you, you'll have uh, like people fighting alongside insurgents, and then as soon as the war's over, they're going at each other's throats. I could get political real fast on that, but I will desist. I, I will happily remain within the politics of Star Wars here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and then it, at the end, it's when um. With the separatists start start just trying to bomb the city to ash rather than let the republic find it, they have to obviously is this the real immediate suffering of their people that forces them to compromise and work together too. Uh, what a what a horrifying shot that was! You know when we're in the tanks and you know they're trying to get a damage report and they realize it wasn't even them they're targeting and they get out and they 
we see a village being bombed and burning like yeah it's it's really like pretty haunting image because it's at night you just see the glow of the fire and the rising smoke and i can't i i know you said it uh before but like we'll say it throughout like this is a kid's show like <laughs> wow and that seems to be a fitting place to close out our discussion on uh season one um a season three episode called The Hostage Crisis was released as the season one finale, but that was really stupid because it actually plays an, an important part in an arc that happens, that the rest of the two episodes happen in season three. So we'll just wait to talk about it till then. So yeah, that is season one, a very long episode. Uh, really, really quickly, uh, as we close up the discussion, I want to know just what are your thoughts on season one as a whole? Uh, I, I like it a lot, um, especially rewatching it. I liked it more than I remembered because... You know, as I said, I've become a huge ad- advocate for this show. I just, I completely love it. And I feel like a lot of the time, whenever I ask people to watch it, I, I always find myself saying, like, seasons one and two, kind of, there's they're really rocky, but trust me, it's worth it and it gets better after that. And while that is true, you know, there's definitely some downs in, in these early seasons, just because I, I was pretty much just reiterating that point again and again to everybody I was trying to get to watch the show. I feel like I kind of diminished my own view of season one so that when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, I, I forgot we have like, you know, the hidden enemy and trespass and these other, like, I think the Ryloth arc is really strong. And so, well, except for, I think, I'm pretty sure, I think both of those are actually in other seasons, or at least uh, hidden oh, enemies. That's true. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's, it's hard to recommend because I have to clarify, like, if you watch a release order, this, the first two seasons are really hard to get to through because they're so just the, 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 the they don't they have very little flow um and obviously there are there's a lot of jar jar like thrown right at you up front so yeah i think it works a lot better looking at it chronologically but you still have a lot of issues you have to wade through it like later on they start weeding out those more annoying elements like 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 ahsoka she starts out really annoying there's almost you're almost immediately thrown into jar jar like a, so it, yeah it's not it does have a lot of issues, and like l- looking at the arcs, like I was trying to find my favorite arc. I realized yeah, the arcs as a whole aren't don't aren't, like aren't as powerful as they get later on. It's more like individual episodes or like individual storylines within an arc kind of that really stand out. Yeah, so I mean, again, th- there's definitely very real problems, and I do think that this is probably the my least favorite season of the series. But again, just in terms of my own enjoyment, I still have a lot of fun with this season. Uh, there's a lot of episodes I enjoy a lot, like Ambush and and the episodes we mentioned earlier. The Lair of Grievous is really cool. So I, I overall really do enjoy this, ep- uh, this season still. All right. So real quick, what are your top five episodes and your favorite arc from this season? Um, so starting from five and moving to one, I'd probably say five is actually Clone Cadets. There's a... Mm-hmm. There's just something about that episode that I, I find really fun. Um, four would be Innocence of Ryloth. Uh, I really ended up liking Waxer and Boyle's journey with Numa a lot. And seeing you know this cool war aesthetic was really fun. Um, three would be The Hidden Enemy just because it is really neat seeing these bigger ideas come out of so early. And, and mm-hmm. to not feel cheap or forced or anything like that. And to fit in right with where the the series conflict is yeah that's one of my favorites for the same reason my second favorite would be rookies uh i love that yep. it works so well as this self-contained story uh, great characters great dynamics 
Um, the action's really cool. And anytime uh, Cody and Rex are together, like that's always really awesome. One of my favorites as well. And like when I was watching the first time, I was like, I was kind of getting bogged down. And then when I watched Rookies, I realized, yeah, this this is worth watching. There, there's definitely good stuff here. There is definitely reasons to watch here. And then, uh, as I said before, my favorite would be Trespass. And this is this and Rookies actually managed to just like beyond just season one are some of my favorite episodes of the season. And Trespass, there's so much complexity to this episode for such a short runtime. And the the visuals to me are probably the best of this season. I like I said, I, I love the the voice actors. I think everybody gives really strong performances here. Um, so yeah, overall my favorite. Same here. Uh, as for my favorite arc, um, I would probably say the Ryloth arc. Although if I can count the first portion of the Clone Wars film, I might actually go the Christophsis arc. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for me. Um Aside from those three, uh, I would add, uh, have Cloak of Darkness as one of my favorites. Um, I really like Luminara, and I think her interactions with Sokar are really cool. There's the awesome lightsaber fights, and just it's a really solid little episode. Um, and then also Lair of Grievous. I, I'm looking through my list, I realize I really like the dark ones. Uh, and this one is like we get to see Grievous, you know, and uh, them, you know, locked in that this labyrinth together, and get some. I think it's just it feels very dangerous and. We get to see a Jedi killed, and <laughs> so it sounds really morbid, but it, it it definitely it adds a sense of gravitas to this thing. And, and uh, we forgot to mention Kid Fisto; he's just fun. He's always got a smirk on his he's face. He's got that yeah. winning smile with him. <laughs> I had here as an honorable mention, uh, as a, an honorable and dishonorable mention with supply lines. Like the Ryloth half of that would probably be my favorite episode, <laughs> but the Jar Jar half is one of my least favorite episodes. So, yeah. Uh, and favorite arc is a toss-up between uh, Ryloth and um, the Dooku captured arc. You know, Ryloth for all the reasons we just mentioned, and Dooku captured because Hondo. <laughs> Man, just <sighs> I love Hondo so much. Yeah. So this is a ridiculously long episode, uh, and I, I'm not going to go into the entire critical reception of this series. We'll do that, all of that, uh, when we do season six. However, I do want to talk a little about the film. Um, it received very scathing reviews. It currently has a 13% critical rating and a 38% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And you know, rightfully so. It, it's, it's not a movie. It, it's, it's a terrible movie. But it did gross $68 million on an $8.5 million budget, so... I mean that that pretty much paid for the first several seasons of the show, but 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 the, I think the problem is that it was supposed it was released in order to drum up excitement for the series, and they did exactly the opposite. And it's just to this day I see people who were t- who were turned off and never actually watched the series because they saw this movie and it was so bad. All right, so that was season one. Um, and again, I'd like to ask you guys if you enjoyed the show to please take a moment to go and leave us a rating and review on iTunes and like us on Facebook where there is Franchise Fatigue Podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're there as at FranchisedPod. And if you want to find our older episodes, you can go to FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And so next week, we will, of course, be back with a Clone Wars Season 2. And, of course, it will be in chronological order. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's amazing. Do it. Yeah, and it, it's it's better than Season 1. And I think you could almost say that for each consecutive season. So, until next week, we will see you in Season 2. Then I just got promoted! Got promoted!